Welcome to Listening to Paint Drive with Mike and Dan, a podcast about the art and hobby of miniature painting. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. Thank you for joining us on our journey to become better, braver, and happier painters. So for today's episode, we're going to talk about some of the things that's been going on the last few months. When COVID-19 first happened, we had an episode and we discussed what we thought some of the things that were going to happen to our hobby. So today, we're going to talk a little bit about what's been going on. It's been about two months or so, Mike. I can't remember. It looks like, uh, let's see. Yeah, about two months, almost three months in some parts of the world. So uh, today, we did a jailbreak. <laughs> yep. So Dan and I actually got out, decided to get out of the house a bit. And we live about uh, 40 minutes to an hour away from each other. And we decided, you know what, let's let's just do a social distance hangout and, you know, just kind of see people and socialize a little bit. So it was kind of nice. Actually, no, it was really nice. And we hit a game store called Games Garrison and they have a 10 people limit and they have face masks and hand sanitizer available. But both Dan and I came ready and prepared for that. Um, and so it was kind of, it was really nice. It was nice to get out and look inside a store, which has been ages, um, since I've, since we've done that. So, uh, what do you think, man? How do, do we do okay? Think social distancing wise and such? Oh, we did. I don't care. Cause I shake hands and lick people's shoes and stuff like that all the time. So there's social distancing thing. That's just, that's just icing on the cake, but no big deal. No big deal at all. Uh, there's nothing going on in the world. It's all your imagination. Just as a side note, Dan is just kidding. Yeah. It's all your imagination. Uh, So usually when we we talk about uh, what's going on, we uh, talk, you know, what kind of hobby stuff we have going on, what we're doing. But I want to touch on one point that um, I'm starting to see in different, uh, different communities. And this is something I, you know, I probably should listen to our podcast so I can remember what in the world we, uh, we talk about, but this was a couple months ago and what, what did we think was going to happen if we were stuck in our houses and we have all this free time to do all the hobby stuff we want for a couple of weeks? We didn't know how long this thing was going to be lasting. So we're at now a couple of months and people, um, I'm starting to see some trends right now, me personally, and and this is how we'll segue into this is I started to notice or knew that if I continue to paint at the frequency that I was painting, because I was spending seven, eight hours a day, I was trying new techniques out. I was experimenting with things. I was trying to finish all my gray stuff that we were all told when this first came about things we actually wanted to do. But I started to get this little feeling that in a couple months, I'm not going to enjoy this anymore. When am I going to hit that wall? So I personally took a leave of absence from painting. I got new paints in, got new toys to paint. I got new wet palette, new brushes, but I put them away without, you know, I did get to play with them for, for a day or two, but I had to make a conscious decision to step away, even though I was having fun because I didn't want to reach that burnout. And, um, I went back to, 
two of my older favorite things is playing video games and playing Magic the Gathering. How does that tie into being a better, braver, happier painter? Stress and work-life balance. On a normal basis, as painters and hobbyists, we hit a wall and we don't enjoy it. Uh, we have to take a long break. And I was reflecting enough to understand that this was going to happen to myself. But is this really happening out there? Are people hitting walls? Are they being stressed out? Are they um, feeling like they're putting so much into things and not making advancements? Uh, I have painted an awful lot in the last month or so. And I still feel like I have as much gray as I had before, even though I have made a concerted effort to make sure that I'm getting some of that stuff knocked out. I'll stop there for a second and I'll ask you, Mike, how are you feeling about all this? How are things going on with your painting feelings? No, I'm, I'm kind of on the opposite side of that. I'm at a frustrated stage because I really thought I was going to have a lot more time to paint. And I'm finding that I have less and less time to paint. My job, even though it's not COVID related, um, is very busy right now. And, you know, I, I had a massive wave of like three or four weeks where I was in it. I had an insane amount of meetings and getting burned out. And my, my painting time is typically in the evening, 10, 1030, when everybody else has gone to bed and I could sit down and crank out a couple hours of painting. But now my kids are going to bed later. My wife's going to bed later. They're around all the time. And so I don't really get a ton. Like really now, realistically, my paint time starts at midnight. And even for me, who's kind of a night owl, it's hard to get motivated to set everything up to paint. Because I'm still a bit nomadic in the house. I, I have a wobbly table in the basement that I paint on. And it's probably a better place for me to paint. And I could set up down there. But... Part of the problem is, is that the lighting isn't as good. And I do have a nice light, but it's still the whole atmosphere down there. I don't know. It's hard, hard to explain. I can't get motivated to paint down there unless I'm just using the airbrush. And so I'm kind of running on a different spectrum of it. I'm a bit more frustrated that I'm not spending more time painting. Um, and it's not anybody's, like, I don't blame my family for it. I mean, my God, they're, you know, they're, they are in the same circumstance I am. You know, I'm sure that they're like, God, what? when's dad going to be gone? You know, <laughs> when can we have the house? I know my oldest two want the house to themselves and they're always like pushing us out the door. You know, my youngest is still, she's like still wants mom and dad around, you know, like before this, when we would go on date night, uh, the two oldest would be like, all right, all right, see you later. Get out, leave you. Bye. Well, do you want us any other information? Nope. Nope. Goodbye. <laughs> they're just kicking us out the door. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I, w I wish I had more time to paint. I'm and I feel like I feel like before this I was making really good progress working on contrast and working on my painting skills. Now I feel like I'm kind of backsliding a little bit because I haven't got in that that in and of itself adds to the it's kind of like builds upon itself. Kind of get frustrated I'm not painting enough. I know I'm not painting enough to keep pushing my skills and practicing. And so when I do feel like I'm backsliding or I'm not advancing at all, then it, that adds to frustration. And then I'm like, why do I bother picking up paint, uh, paint? Because I suck anyways, you know? And so it's kind of a vicious circle. I need to 
I need to start setting times and be like, okay, 10 o'clock, these three nights, I'm doing nothing else except paint and just stick to a schedule. I just need to stick to a schedule. I don't think I could paint even now because I, I was hoping that, you know, because of the flexibility that maybe during some daytime hours, I could throw some paint on a miniature, but it just hasn't turned out that way. And then throw in all the other grow up, grown up slash adulting things like mowing the lawn. You know, I've had to spend weekends at the laundromat because our washing machine is broken and can't, we can't get it fixed courtesy of the COVID-19 issues going on. And so, you know, we've been without a washing machine for a month. So I spent the last four weekends at a laundromat, you know, <laughs> and while I do do some work on like miniature prep there, like I definitely bring my, my travel kit with me. I'm not, I'm not painting there. I'm like cleaning mold lines, looking at like trying to construct bases and stuff. And, but not really, I don't know, not getting really further than cleaning mold lines on miniatures because then, you know, laundry's done, et cetera. So it's, it's a vicious cycle, but it is, it is what it is, you know? And I think that's, we're, we're still going to be in this for a while. I know my job is they don't have a go back date and I would be surprised. We're recording this on what is it? May 24th. Correct. So it's May, it's May 24th. We're recording this. I'm not, I will not be surprised if we're not talking about July 4th, July 4th being in the office regularly. But even then, I think that we're going to be on a team schedule where one, we're going to be in every other week or at once. The way our organization is, I guess they would have us in once, once a week, once a month. Does that make for, for one week a month? There we go. Now I can, I can speak English. So yeah, I th- I, but I could be wrong. I could be I could be wrong. That could go whole hard back. Considering we're both government employees, then you know it may be that they force us to all go back all at once. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I figured we probably wouldn't start to see what was going to happen until July Fourth weekend because uh, um, our employer in, likes to um, go around holidays make decisions around holidays so um so i think as i've seen in other communities or hobby groups and stuff is it's it's not as cool as we really thought it was going to be there's so many stressors that have um uh, taken our attention uh, you know, if you're an older hobbyist and you have family, uh, they're always around. Uh, if you have, if you're an older hobbyist and you have older parents, then your concern is, is, is real world. It's not about like sitting down and just painting and having fun. Um, yeah, I'm at home doing work, but as Mike is what you're saying, I can't just stop doing my job and run over and paint i think the first week because we were so confused and no one knew what was going on i could probably take a couple hours but now that things have settled in people know this is going to be for the long haul i haven't been able to do it haven't been able to play my video games in the middle of the day drink you know living the life drinking a beer on hours stuff like that nope it just it doesn't happen anymore and i'm fine with it I still save myself you know, 20 something hours of commute time a, a week. Um, so I can put that time into something else. Um, 
but that goes back to, you know, what am I doing with my time? How am I adjusting the stressors? Is painting really the outlet that I need right now? And for myself, it's no. Um, this has allowed me to bond a little bit with my son because he's getting into magic. And this that was before I started painting in 89, right about that time was when magic came out. Actually, I think it was like 90, 91, somewhere in there. Uh, for all you magic players, um, but it would, it was my sophomore year in college. I remember it because the they also came out with the vampire game Jihad that they had uh, to change. They had the they had the vampire game Jihad at the same time Magic came out, and then they had to change the name from Jihad to Vampire the Awakening. Ah, uh, yes. So that's uh, so that was you know right around the same time as my gaming my gaming life started video games were out already so we had playstation one for all you uh, historians out there um uh battletech was already out for a couple years warhammer was out for a little bit of time also magic was about that time but i really enjoyed magic and i can find a lot more people to play with so i had a different group for battletech and i had a different group for for magic uh but i shelved that after my fourth year of college i shelved magic uh i sold all of my cards i can punch myself because i should be living in a giant castle right now uh but um say what is that uh case or whatever the that sure yeah whatever um oh man i can feel your pain because i had every single jihad card and i lost him in a i i broke up with a girlfriend i was living with and she moved to florida and while I was at work, she cleaned me out, took all those cards and everything too, and I could have sold them for thousands of dollars. Yeah, uh, boy, I bet there are. I bet we could write a novel of all the broken hearts and broken dreams by just by magic cards and forty k plastic. <laughs> I don't think that we really could do a show because. We are planning on doing a show on art therapy and, uh, you know, how how our hobby relates to inducing stress or relieving stress. Uh, mental health. Were, were you going and, for how and, our hobby and, relates to mental health? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, but I think it's a good time just to do a little checkup. It's been a couple months. People are all over the place. Uh, they're all in their own zones and own worlds. Some are having a difficult time. Some are not. Um, it's everywhere. It's all over the place. It's that it's, there's no finite answer and not everybody's in the same boat. So there's lots of stressors. There's lots of unknowns still. We don't need to discuss all that crap. We could probably just delete the last half an hour. Who knows? Uh, probably not Mike. Um, so, so. So one thing I, I do want to relate to everybody is one of the discussions we had in a previous episode was about getting your kids into the hobby itself um, with Joe White. Do you usher your children into this hobby or do you push them into this hobby or pull them into the hobby? And it's really about what are their comforts? I tried 40K with my son at different times. Now, I think it's just now starting to click. So maybe I try a little early and younger. So all you parents out there that you have your kids wanting to paint at three and four years old, thumbs up to all you. My kid was just like, screw you. I'm going to go play with a dog or play with some sand or something. 
but now he's a little bit more interested. So that's where I needed my focus to be. He's interested in that. And if that's a time and place for me to bond and it's still a hobby for me and that's what makes me happy, then that's cool. Um, so that's where I am now until I can get him to enjoy 40K or painting on miniatures and stuff. He does like doing Gundams though. So that's cool. Um, so magic, why magic? Um, it gets my, my brain moving and it makes me a little bit more creative. Uh, I really loved the art. I used to, to to collect cards just because of the art that's on there. And there's lots of different colors and ideas and stuff because, hey, they're artists. And I can see, like, you know, little sparkles of imagination. Like, oh, that would be a cool army. That would be a cool paint scheme. And I know it doesn't really tie game-wise, but, you know, if you can see art in everything, it, it's pretty cool. And I do. Uh, only because my wife makes me see art and everything. So in my world, that's what I've been doing. Uh, it's only been a couple weeks or so. I still haven't filled up a box of anything. I've only bought a couple packs. Reminisce about all the cards that are I could probably buy a, ca uh, a car or a house with that I used to own that uh, I sold to my, my roommate in college for 20 bucks or something because that's all the cash, cash he had on him at the time. Well, Magic is a great, the, the cards, the art on Magic cards are such a great place to get inspiration for miniature painting too. They're such that uh, even though you're not necessarily looking at a one-for-one -one thing, like you're not looking at box art for a specific miniature, but like if you're painting an angel, there are a couple of very cool angel cards that are in Magic. You know exactly. what I mean? They're exactly. Great ways to get, and, uh, and plus it's just like, it, they're, they're, it's great reference material. You know, that's a that's a good thing. And it sounds like you're trying to use magic as a gateway to other things for your son. <laughs> you know, and I, I'm trying. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, we play online because we can't go to the stores and play. And that's cool. But hey, you know what? Magic really, like, did one to us because it made Godzilla as the freaking, like, main character of this pack. And, uh, yeah. So, of course, I'm trying to find some money, try to get my Godzilla fix. Of course, I haven't gotten any Godzilla cards. I've only bought a couple packs though, um, and then I really don't want to go on the internet and buy that limited edition super foil with signatures in Japanese because I don't have the money for that. But that's cool because I don't have the money for a Thunderhawk either. So <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But yeah. um, but, you know, uh, you know, I I I I know that when I'm a little bit more comfortable and. Um, I'm feeling the time is right and I can get back on a schedule because I think what you said is very, very important is a schedule. Having the free freedom to paint whenever I wanted to didn't create any structure. So I could paint for eight hours in a day, but if it's not like I want to get this and this and this completed, it, it didn't really give me the outputs that I was looking for and the outcomes. So... Being able to say, hey, on this day, I want to be able to have this painted or I want to paint three of these guys or I want to do this new technique or practice this color. It's, you know, I just want to finish these guys. It's, you know, it, it, I think it interferes a little bit and having that structure like, OK, I'm going to work five days a week or now like one day a week, but I'm at home. I can at least have that structure point where I can say, okay, in the afternoon and evenings, I can paint for two or three hours, try to get this accomplished if I can. 
brush up on these old skills because I haven't been doing them properly or I have, you know, something new because, you know, sometimes we have to live in a world of structure and we have not been in a world of structure for months now. And you can see where, you know, you can look on the news and see what's happening. We don't need to talk about it. You know, when we first started, I wasn't as rigorous per se about making sure I got up, showered, shaved and all that stuff. Now I'm like, making sure that when I get up, I shower, I shave, even though nobody's going to see me. I actually still, I don't get dressed up, but I, I don't look like a slob per se. Just now some people can probably pull it off and not worry about it. For me, the mentality is that I kind of have to get in the mode to work and just to kind of keep moving forward. And so, you know, everybody's got their own things. I had a boss that used to get fully dressed, like all the way to the, you know, ready to walk into the office before she started teleworking. And that was, she's like, that's the only way I can get going. Otherwise I don't want to work. And I'm like, well, but that's what, if that's what it takes to do it, knock yourself out. You know what I mean? I don't need to go that far, but you know, I usually put on a pair of like khaki pants, a long sleeve shirt, something. I don't do a button up shirt cause that's just kind of silly. <laughs> I don't know where you're working, dude. I've been no. wearing the same pajama bottoms for the last two months. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like I- my kids. <laughs> oh, I've had these on longer than my kids. Definitely. Yeah. I'm like, well, I'm not dressing up because I'm lucky enough to have an old enough computer where the freaking camera doesn't work so they can't see what I look like. Oh, no, no. we have a, I have a lot of meetings where they, they're they like, turn your camera on. We want to see you. Oh, I'm like, screw that. And so I usually, I usually, honestly, I make sure I either wear, on those type of meeting days, I either make sure I'm wearing a Bob Ross shirt or a Thundercats or maybe my Dark Ta- Stephen King Dark Tower t-shirt. Something along those lines. Something that's a, a little bit more interesting, you know? No way. <laughs> no way. Our folks yeah. found out real fast that people's cameras aren't enabled or they actually physically pulled them out of our laptops. So after the first mandatory video conference and realized that 95% of the people couldn't do it, right. they kind of like stood down a little bit. And that's cool with me because they don't need to see my unshaven face and me lounging around. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, I know a lot of people where I work take uh, take uh, post-its or something and put it over their camera. Like they yes. block out their camera. And I'm you staring know. at mine right now. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my regular computer yeah no i don't I, yeah I'm, I'm not a big fan of the thing too you know we don't do video because it increases the the amount of the recording so it's a pain in the uh, butt to convert to mp3 that's true um but you know plus you know you know i i have a face that was made for radio or podcasts but you know one of the things that's kind of important too that that we do touch out and you know kind of a sneak peek here is that our interview this week is with kenny boucher from next level painting and one of the things that we touched touch that base about in the interview is if you're a person that's kind of struggling and need help need somebody to talk to there's no shame in that there's no shame in getting help you should get help it's out there for you you know what i mean there's nothing there, there used to be a stigma with mental health but no more don't that stigma needs to go out the door in the toilet whatever if you need to talk to somebody Get some help. It's okay. You know, yeah. you don't have to be there alone. You, even if you're isolated, you still don't have to be alone. That first couple of weeks or so, we saw a lot of people who were 
making jokes about extroverts and introverts and how they cope with these kind of things. And since I'm more introverted, this does not bother me a whole lot. I don't mind sitting at home in the same old raggedy pajama bottoms for three months at a time. It doesn't bother me. But there are some people out there that after day two, they were like scratching at the walls trying to get out because this is not how they work. They need people to talk to. If you're a person who's just wants to talk to somebody, there are people out there like me. <laughs> I'll talk to you even though or actually you talk to me. I'm a good listener because I have nothing important to say and most of the stuff that I say is wrong anyway. So it's all right. I'll listen to what you have to say because sometimes people just need to have the interaction, you know, um, with family members. We've done uh, the Zoom parties and Facebook party things and stuff. And it's been kind of cool because we at least know that someone's there. We can talk to folks. Um, my kids learned how to use a phone. Right, right. Cell actually, phones? I was thinking about the same thing, hey, that their phones okay. actually make phone calls. That's <laughs> right. Guess what? These cell phones, they you can talk to them, and someone on the other line can talk back. And my daughter showed me they don't really talk to each other like we used to in the old days, but they Skype each other or they FaceTime each other, whatever yeah. they, whatever it's called. And they will do that for hours on end. Yeah, they, my middle child is always on FaceTime with her girlfriends. Yeah. And you know what? That is cool. The kids, mm -hmm. you know, hey, you know what? And and I'm talking at our level as older, older folks that have, you know, teenage kids that, you know, some of the folks in the hobby are that way right now. But the kids know how to use that. They are used to the Internet and being virtual. Oh, no. And there are there are safe chat apps out there for kids, too. My youngest, who is 11 chats with her friend in Germany all the time over either Facebook. There's a Facebook chat app and there's another chat mm -hmm. app that she uses. And so, yeah, there, there's tons of safe ways out there, even for younger kids. And she, I mean, she's the one, she's like Zoom queen with her, with her friends. She's always on Zoom with her, her classmates and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that, that age thing, that's, that, that is also narrowed as well. Cause you're now talking about all these elementary school kids who have learned to use Blackboard Ultra canvas zoom etc so that's okay. another way that, you know that's that that's bridged out too and, you know and we might be a little bit behind the the times just because it's been a few months and people hopefully have been able to find those outlets to be able to communicate people so uh, don't take it that we don't think that you know or we think that you're just sitting at home waiting for somebody to to talk to you and you're rocking in a corner or something that's that's not what it is it's just Maybe maybe people just just need to talk about to someone other than their family members or coworkers. Uh, it was really cool just to go and just talk to Mike, even though we talk online a lot. Uh, we run into each other every once in a while in the real world, but just to be able to see somebody else and to talk to somebody in the wild was a little bit more refreshing than what we usually go through. And we're all going to start to experience this a little bit more as some of our restrictions start to get lifted and, and a sort. But take care of yourselves. The world is a stressful place right now. Having more and more boxes of, of wonderful looking space marines and necrons coming in the next couple months is just making me stress out because I haven't <laughs> finished the ones I've done that I have now. And now I have another like 25 that I have to worry about and paint those up. 
and so so i think and having all that having all of what you already have will not deter you from buying the new box set that is right <laughs> except for the necrons so yesterday is when they announced the ninth edition and they gave us a bunch of spoilers yesterday and today about what they're going to be showing and everything and i'm super stoked about it but i already my pucker factor went up just a little bit because i started to think these guys over here don't go with this army how do i have to what color what army should i be painting them for even though i don't play them doctrinally they belong to a different type of army so i'm like holy shit i was like i can't just spray paint them all green and then slop some wash on them i i now now need to start thinking about what colors am i going to be using for which guys and i'm like crap man this i don't need that it's um it's undue stress and so thank you very much games workshop for providing more guys that i can't pay um or i can't paint and uh i probably can't pay for it either because it's probably be 200 dollars box um yeah, at, least I don't, no at least i don't need the necrons that's cool somebody else can take those there's some necron players out there somewhere so uh so i don't know have we talked about it i know i talked a little bit of what i've been doing you know i tested out a couple things in the last couple months different techniques different colors uh different products that i haven't tested before i mean mike and i were talking about different brushes uh we had to have a we did have a brush episode a few uh, months ago and um, I'm not willing to talk about specific brushes right now, but I tested a couple and I was very surprised by uh, the quality and, and some of them, the lack of quality and the, and something interesting about like how brushes are used, like different materials that the bristles are made out of really change the way that you paint. And maybe we'll talk about this later on because I am totally not prepared, like most of the time, uh, to talk about what brushes and the techniques. But I had to relearn certain things and it was exciting and fun, but it was kind of like, holy crap, you know, did I just waste 25 years of painting and doing it incorrectly? No, it was the tool changed and I needed to adapt to that. So mm -hmm. um, that, that was kind of, that was, you know, kind of, kind of cool. I did take your advice. I did. I did take your advice, and I did go back and try um, the Rosemary and Company brushes after I did a little bit more restoration style work on them. I let them sit for a couple of hours with just the hair in the Windsor Newton Brush Restore, mm -hmm. and uh, cleaned them up, kind of like washed them out, conditioned them, um, and again let them sit. And then I recreated the tip using uh, Master's Brush Soap and just wetting, wetting them a little bit and making it harder, making, you know, because that stuff will solidify. So you get, it kind of keeps the tip nice on it. Um, and yeah, um, so I will say they're all right. Um, they're still not, I, I don't know, I don't know how much they would move into my normal rotation, but I feel competent and comfortable painting with them. I did notice that I did have a bunch of, not a bunch. I would say like three or four strays on each that I had to dispose, like get rid of the hairs on, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of just very carefully clip them. And, but I, you know, yeah, they're decent. They're not. They're not bad. I mean, I'm not. They're they're a good price. They're a reasonable alternative uh, to a lot. They are a lot cheaper than any other Kalinsky sable. So, so actually, know. that reminds me when you said clipping some of the stray hairs. 
Uh, I ran across a video. I can't remember. I don't know who it was. Uh, it just pops into my head. And somebody was, someone mentioned their brush. And so actually it was a video. Yeah. And so he brought the brush really, really close. He's like, oh, I made this. And it was a brush that the tip had bent a little bit. And he was like, well, it's really, really old. And he heard from somewhere and somebody else and told two friends and told two friends. And he shaved all of it off, all of the bristles off, except for like, I think, five or ten hairs. And it made it like, like a hundred zero brush. And that's how he's painting eyes and colors and pupils on 28 millimeter figures. And I was just like, you got to be effing kidding me. So I actually dug through and I found an old brush that I never used that fit that description. I think mine was a three zero and the tip was just bent enough where I just didn't, I was never going to use it. And I shaved off all that extra those bristles and i have this tiny tiny little brush tip that i can use to to put dots on things and it was fabulous i loved it i, I see i can't get if i do something like that i put it in the paint get it to the miniature it's already dry well you know the, the, <laughs> I, it did take it take it took a couple of tries to get it right but once I got it down, dude, I was loving it. Uh, the The paint had to be a little bit more moist than normal. It it worked. After I tried it a couple times, I was just like, "Holy crap, man! This is this could this is one of those things that's like light bulb life changing and the hobby for myself." That was one of those things for me. And I was all right. So when you post this on Instagram, when we post this episode on Instagram, you need to post a picture of the brush. I will try to find a, I will try to find where I put the brush. And then I will, uh, I gotta make it. And then I, will, I was, <laughs> and then I got to, uh, take a picture of it. So yeah, I think I know where it is. I think I actually got it out of my trash pile and actually put it in my, you have to use pile for like reels. Yeah. I'll try to remember that amongst all the other things that I try to remember. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, since I've talked like some of the crap I've been doing, like playing video games, which has been kind of cool, uh, playing Magic Online because we can't do it in stores anymore and starting to collect cards again with my son. What else have you been up to, Mike, during our troubled times? Well, I wish I could say I've been painting masterclass competition level miniatures, but I would be lying. I've been doing a little bit of painting here and there. Uh, I think what a lot of what I've been doing, unfortunately, has been distracted by still playing Overwatch from time to time. And now, and I agreed and let my son buy Battlefront 2 for the PS4, and I got sucked into that. Um. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that, man. And so I do. I, I have been playing uh, the campaign mode of Battlefront Four. I don't really like the Star Wars multiplayer games, uh, you know, the online the online versions. But I do enjoy the story. I, you know, you'll see a theme in a, in everything about me. I love stories and narratives, and so I lean towards narrative campaign play over uh, anything that's multiplayer online every day. I still play Overwatch. That's not campaign. 
Um, that's all multiplayer online, but you know, that's a little bit different six on six as opposed to like 45,000 people against each other in a battlefront match. I don't know how that's an exaggeration, but that's just not my style. You know, I, in speaking of our thing today, it was also, it was awesome to be able to, to get out, get to see you, get to have that face to face conversation. Zoom and such is nice, but you know, it just doesn't replace that kind of human interaction. Even six feet away from each other, wearing masks, gloves, and hazmat suits. You know, it was still nice to see you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we did. Um, exactly. Like, wait, I think that's Dan. Let me get a squeegee to clean my visor off. There you go. I, I will say this, too, that we did a swap. I gave you a bunch of Dark Angel stuff, uh, and you hooked me up with some Infinity models that are a little bit bigger. Uh, and I appreciate that. The models are very cool. I guess Pan-Oceanic is what you told me they are. Yes. Uh, very nice. Very nice. I did have to pick up one of my favorite blacks. I, I am out of Scale 75 Flat Black. Love that paint. Had to pick up a bottle of that. Probably should have bought two because uh, I do use it. I'm, that's on my palette all the time. And I also got a miniature from Parabellum Games for their game Conquest, The Last Argument of Kings. And it's the Feast Priest. And it's a bit more expensive than I would normally like to spend on like a 32 millimeter miniature, which is about 20 bucks. But I will say this. It is awesome. It's an, it's an amazing miniature. It's crisp. The details are very crisp. There's very little cleanup on it. Um, there's some posability with the hands, etc. on it. So it was, I'm really looking forward to painting this. I actually think I might clean it up tonight and put some primer on it tonight and get a, get a go on it tomorrow. So, you know, that's kind of cool. Otherwise, uh, I ventured into bus painting, which is, I have, let's say, I painted a bust a couple of years ago. Uh, I saw a snake bust online from a guy who was just doing like, did like 10 of them. And he's like, yeah, I got 10 of them. I'm just going to get rid of them. I, I sculpted it, etc. And I'm like, I'll buy one. And so I didn't do, I, I did my best paint job on that. I didn't do a great paint job. I did it for a gift for my for my middle child. I'm going to have to do another one in a couple of years here when I'm actually better at it. So that was my first real attempt at a bust. Then I took a bust painting class from Banshee at the Nova Open a couple of years ago. I did all right with that. Um, kind of the way I explain it is, first, if I wouldn't have taken the Roman three-day class right before then, I probably would have been blown out of the water walking in because it is not uh, an intermediate or beginner class. It is an advanced class when you teach a painting bus. And I would say I made it through three quarters of the day before starting to kind of get lost. Um, and that's okay. That's not Vanshee's fault. That's, that's kind of my fault. It's kind of the fault of other students in that class as well, because there were people that were monopolizing his time and people that were blocking out being able to see what he was doing. Um, and so it kind of, that, that became kind of annoying as hell. But I hadn't really gone back to trying painting a bust since then. And so now I'm working on two. The Leah bust I've mentioned before from Ouroboros Miniatures. And then I'm also painting a Gladiator from Pegaso Miniatures. And that's surprising because it's metal and it's freaking heavy. Like heavy, heavy. Like I'm like, whoa, my hand actually gets tired holding it after a while while, I'm while I've been painting it. Um, which... That's pretty pathetic because I haven't been painting it that long. So yeah, I haven't. I don't know if I've put three hours into it yet, um, total. So, but that's that. That's kind of where I've been. I did actually finish a miniature. Uh, I did Johan from Malifaux, and I did a little scenic base for him, like a little junkyard base. I actually do have a completed miniature during COVID nineteen, but I would say I only put about fifteen hours total into him. 
which is a very low amount for me in a miniature, which is kind of nice. I just said, I got to, I got to finish something. I have to have something to show for this time period. And so I, I kind of do, we can post an image of him on Facebook. I'll take a picture of him. I got to put him back. I, I haven't glued him back to the base yet when I was doing some final touches, but it is all, everything on it is completely painted. So that's kind of, that's kind of what I've been up to. I bet, like I said, I've spent an enormous amount of time in the laundromat. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I, I, I'm wishy-washy between projects, you know, like I have an, I, I have a, a character that somebody was doing a, a master class on and it was like, well, maybe I'm going to follow along with that. Or the Trevarian had the Ogre and my, my Riad, the, and I have a different version of it, but it would have applied just as well. And then I have the Blight King, the Darren Lantham had the, the blight, the blight night or whatever it was, master class. Well, let me try that. And I'm just not. Those figures don't haven't really sparked my interest. It would be a, I would purely be a technique watch, and I don't know if I can make it all the way through that. If that makes sense, you know, I could, I could, I don't think I could make it all the way through painting it from beginning to end. However, I will say this: the basing video Trevarian does for it is very enlightening like some of the thought process that goes into building a base. And it's not a competition base that he does for it. It's a gaming base, but there's a lot of competition style elements in it. He's talking about composition and directionality, the way things are facing. You know, it's a sharp figure, like he's kind of an angry looking figure. So there's a lot of sharp angles in the rocks that kind of match that and shit that I never even thought about. You know what I mean? Like I thought about colors and stuff like that, but that makes so much sense that if you have a jagged kind of angry person, then having kind of sharp, angry lines and stuff in your base only magnifies that. You know what I mean? Adds to the composition of that. So that type of thing is, you know, you learn something new every day. And so, and that, that was like, literally that was one sentence in this video. And I keep going back to that in my head. You know what I'm saying? Like that made such an impression that quickly. So, but so that, you know, I, I have, I will say this, I've been wa- noticing that during this time period, Dan, holy crap, the amount of content on YouTube has exploded as yeah, far as videos go. Not that is not a joke, man. And and you know, we could probably have a whole other conversation about this, but I've noticed that as a collective, the people have had time to not concentrate on a piece for competitions or for you know uh, commissions and stuff but folks have been able to experiment a little bit more so the as the collective in this hobby i think has been is has improved as a whole the the pros that we have and the the a-list painters have gotten better the folks that are that have would not have thought of entering contests or competitions are fully capable and producing pieces to get into competitions folks that are just now picking this up have exceeded what they might have thought that they could do in this amount of time there's been a lot of free time for people to do this but uh, you know as a whole though everything is improved you know for some of us slow pokes like me (laughs) i'm finding that i have not been I, i have improved a couple things but not as a whole and maybe I haven't mm-hmm. pushed myself enough, but I'm like, holy crap, if I want to be in that second or third tier of painters, 
I'm definitely not doing it because I'm not focusing on the right things. I'm not doing that. Um, what do they? What do we call it? The the um, crap. The practice, not dedicated practice, but something along those lines. Ah, shit, I can't remember. Um, sure. Well, that's that's kind of the key too, though, right? Isn't it? And that that this is this is what I I still need to figure out. Okay. So I am a very good auditory learner. Like if I listen to a book, it's stuck in my head. I am a really, like I'm an exceptional because of my training in debate. Uh, you know, I've started out in debate and reading evidence since I was 12 years old. And now, I mean, that's over 30 years at this point. I am exceptional at reading comprehension. Like when I read something, I really comprehend it. And I like, especially when I read it the second time, I can't figure out for me how I learn and how I practice to paint. You know what I mean? Like what, what is the most effective way for me to practice painting? Is that repetition? Is that, okay, I'm going to pick this model and I'm only going to glaze it. And I'm only going to, I'm going to Zenithal prime it and only glaze it. And that's what I'm going to do. I can't, I haven't figured that out yet. I haven't figured out, you know, I, I know I'm getting better in some areas piecemeal here and there. But I like, I don't know, there are some people that get better just by doing repetition by picking up an army, you know, like Kenny talks about in the interview, his painting skills substantially increased by army painting. My, I, I, I lose the interest, you know what I mean? You know, I can't think about it. But anyway, so sorry, I, I, I digress. No, that's cool. I just couldn't, uh, I can't think I couldn't think of that term and stuff. But, um, but it, I want to I, I want to bring this full circle by saying that we have pushed so hard in the last couple of months trying to clear out our grays, trying to improve or come up with new techniques using different types of products that are coming online. Because you know what? Even though the companies are saying that uh, they're having a hard time with people being there and stuff uh, to produce the products that they're putting together, there's still a lot of new stuff that's coming out um, to try the new stuff out and be and being able to improve just exponentially what's out there is there a point in our community where we think or is there a point in our community where we start to break down and you know where does the stress of just churning out commission after commission after commission or churning out competition pieces or trying to clean up all your gray and and have everything painted for your for your tabletop are you know are we hitting that point um as i said there's other communities and other hobbies that are running into this that i've seen uh or at least hearing rumblings of you know the magic group of folks that are just like you know you know new decks are coming up and pe people and competitions are are able you know they're experimenting because they have so much free time to make their different decks as we would as armies uh, on our on our end um, that folks that do it habitually or have done it all the time have new competition. And how is that uh, with the psyche of that community? Uh, so I hope that, you know, all the folks that are doing all the hobby stuff and are able to find ways to play the games aren't pushing themselves to hit that end goal in line um, and they are able to take care of themselves 
because uh, you have to have that life balance, work balance, hobby balance in there, especially if you have family. Uh, you definitely got to spend more time with them too because uh, most likely you're stuck in a house with them. So you're <laughs> right. We were trying to plan a vacation and my middle child's like, really? We're going to go on vacation together after being stuck yeah. in the house for months? We want to go don't somewhere you, together? <laughs> don't you ask your kids, what are you doing? Like, hey, it's Friday. What are we doing this weekend? And they both like, screw you, dad. We're doing the same shit we've been doing for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> Just staying at home and staring at their games. Nice. Yeah, we get it, kids. We understand. But you got to at least have something to celebrate. It's a weekend. It's still a weekend, you know? It's, yeah, it's exactly. Not, it's not Wednesday. Yeah, you don't have school but anymore. But. This is a really good segue for us, though, right into the interview, if you want to, because this is exactly what Ken, Kenny does do some talking about, you know, the burnout, the, uh, you know, oh, commission painting and stuff like that. So, Dan, I'm excited today. Our interview is with Kenny Boucher of Next Level Painting and also of The Long War. Uh, he has uh, been teaching in the hobby for 10 years, but he's been in the hobby much, much longer than that. Uh, he's very well known on Patreon. He's also well known for his exceptional airbrush skills and his neat and easy tricks or ancient techniques. So, Dan and I are excited to welcome Kenny Boucher from Next Level Painting. Yo, dog. Kenny Boucher, welcome to the show. Yo, dog, great to be here. Oh, man, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to be with us, man. I know this is a, this is kind of a whack time to be living in. <laughs> man, no doubt. It's, uh, I think it's hard for everyone out there being trapped in our houses. And I think it was funny because like week one, you saw those hilarious memes where like the Bane, the Bane memes where it's like nerds. I was born in the, in the solitude or I was born in the darkness, you know? And, right. and now like 60 days later, I'm like, okay, like I'm, I'm getting kind of crazy. Right. It wears on you after a while, for sure. Um, but, you know, I, I noticed I did, I did some background research on you. I think this is pretty cool. So you've been, in, uh, been doing this for about 10 years now. Can you talk to me about how uh, you got into the hobby? Oh, man, shoot. I've been, uh, I've been doing this as a job for about 10 years. Oh, 10 but years. I've, I've been doing this hobby since I was in high, like, probably like junior year in high school, like late 90s, 99, 1999. So like, just like any nerd, walk into a hobby shop, see some chaos models and the rest was history. I assume everyone has that exact story. You saw Abbott under spoiler, Carnage Betrayer, the Chaos <laughs> Sorcerer, and you're like, yo, I'm in. Right. Well, a lot of people have, man. A lot, a lot of people say that they wander by a games workshop or an FA, a friendly local store and they're like, they wind up getting hooked really quickly because, you know, what's wrong? There's nothing, can't beat uh, toy soldiers that you can paint, right? No. <laughs> But, Especially, uh, I think Dreadnoughts is the other one. Mm -hmm. Like, I've heard that a thousand times. Someone's like, yeah, I just saw a Dreadnought. I was, in, I was in. Needed it. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. See, and I was, uh, my brother used to play D&D, &D and I, I never got into it. And some guy at a local store said, hey, well, why don't you look at these guys? And it was a box of Rogue Trader 1 Marines. And I was like, ooh. That would, that would not have been enough for me. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm much more easily influenced than you, then, I guess. <laughs> that would have been not enough. I would have seen them and I'm like, okay, like, bro, we already had Todd McFarlane action figures, you know, like, it would, wouldn't have been cool enough for me. That's fair. You know, that's fair. There, there's a lot. Yeah, it was a good time for comic books in, the, in that 90s time period, too. But oh, yeah. uh, uh, so who, I guess with that kind of a diversion off the topic, but it doesn't matter, a topic of painting doesn't matter. Is that Tom McFarlane is one of your favorite comic artists or? 
Do you have a favorite artist in the comic books? Uh, my favorite comic book artist uh, back in the Dizzy was Simon Bisley. Okay. Like, he, he did a lot of cover art for like heavy metal magazines. He did some great like Max comic. He just had like, he was more like a like a fantasy artist, but he did definitely jump into the comic scene. That was my favorite guy of all time for sure. Then of course, like Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane have to be discussed, you know, like both those dudes are old heads and they're still crushing, you know, like, and I love right. seeing like Jim Lee still using a, a marker and a, sharpie when he's doing some little live streams and watching mcfarland like who's full on a boomer <laughs> on the four thousand dollar wacom computer crushing it digitally i'm like that's why you guys were so innovative back in those days like you know like you guys are like the same age still drawing comics and this guy is like always going to use a marker and this dude's on like whatever the hottest technology is so that's like i respect those dudes like crazy you know right absolutely you know and it's interesting looking back too like because uh, so in that time period, then you would have also been in the comic books around when image broke off from Marvel. Mm -hmm. And so yep. like took all the artists like Jay Lee and stuff, who's my favorite comic book mm -hmm. artist and oh, yeah. you know, stuff. Oh, you know, and, and, and back to that, you know, who was like one of my favorite guys, the guy who did battle chasers back in that was it uh Joe Mataria back in those days. Like he did like battle chasers, but then he did like a lot of the artwork in the age of apocalypse spinoff. And he kind of brought like that huge over the top, big arm, like big forearms and big like boots kind of to the Marvel line for a while. Like I just remember the age of apocalypse, like character design. I was like, who is this guy? Like, yeah, I can see it, but I can't place the name. You know, I could see the artwork in my head, but that's, I'm going to have to, now I'm going to have to Google that later on. <laughs> that, like that guy was a guy. Like I love that dude too. For like that window of time. That's all. I mean, he wasn't like obviously a legend, but he definitely inspired me heavily and then seeing like space marines with big ass boots and shit was right. definitely like a, you know i remember that link in my brain you know i well hey that all the stuff you know my my big thing growing up was i wanted to be i wanted to work for eastman and laird and draw ninja turtles and not like the movie i wanted to do the comic book line you know like yeah, some joint smoking swear word dispensing turtles yep yeah. <laughs> the, the real ninja turtles but uh um so one of the things I find that's interesting is, so you've gone from that gamer, painter, to now you're a teacher. So how, how did that transition happen for you and how did it impact your painting? That's a, that's a good question. I'm glad I read these notes that you sent me earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> Put a lot of thought into them. <laughs> um, well, I mean, literally I was a commercial artist. So like I got my commercial art degree like the week before my high school diploma, like I was going share time at a vocational uh, institute, like for two years. And during high school, my dad set that up. He's a vocal instructor. So he was like, yo, get a trade. So like, I was always being trained as an artist since I was a kid. My dad saw I was a kid, I was an artist. He was like, hey, you're into this. Let me support that. You know, here's some, here's some shit you need. Always sign me up for a class or two, even if I didn't want to go. Made me do it. Never let me forget that I, had a passion for this, even when I was interested in girls and I didn't give a shit anymore, you know? Right. <laughs> so when I got my, I got, so I was being trained now is like a teenager becoming like a young man on the concept of commercial art at a very lucky time, honestly, where like they were not, we had all these IMAX and all the old shit was like being pushed out. Like now we were learning. So I got, so it was kind of like a graphic design degree at the same time. Oh, wow. Cause That's we like, like the guys just before us were doing drafting tables and everything like that, you know? And so I got to learn a lot of stuff, but it was always about getting paid, right? Like commercial art is monetization of, of one's art skills. 
right? And for, you know, working with a client. Uh, and so we learned all sorts of things about advertisement design and all that stuff. So I was coming at it from the perspective of like the American dream, monetize your passions, right? That's in a nutshell what I believe the American dream is. So as, so as a commercial artist, I had this advantage where I was like, yo, I'm working toward a professional pay rate here. You know, like this is what I, whereas my buddies who were getting their fine art degrees were kind of like, you know, uh, I'm kind of, I don't know, like, should I charge for this? And it's like, it was like they were shaming them at university for valuing right. themselves. So like, I, I, I just always remembered that. And then eventually I did go to community college and was working on a graphic design, like associate's degree. And I was like, this is straight dumb. And so I just like, I, sw- I floated around in, in, in community college and then eventually was like, eh, fuck this. I was like, this is dumb, left, started trying to do my work. Uh, and then eventually many years later, cause that would have been like 2000, 2001, right? Many years later, 2010 comes around after a whole journey of like hardships and pouring concrete, being a construction worker, being a cook in casinos, like just a million little things that I always lost the job or got fired because I'm an asshole or whatever. Eventually, but I always played 40K, always went to tournaments, always stayed as competitive as I could. I was always a gamer first. Uh, you know, was always on the forums, always trying to crush it out, uh, but always painting my own shit and, uh, you know, staying up with that and bringing really cool models to the table. Finally, I was like, would it be dope if I could like make money at this? Like, cause like I failed to be a commercial, a commercial uh, artist, a graphic designer. I've tried for a decade now and couldn't make it work. And then my mom bought me a, an Aztec plastic testers airbrush kit. I was like, Hey, have you seen these? And she had a little eBay shop, 40 K still online. She doesn't have it anymore, but she's the ICS mama 40 K for sure. <laughs> and she, she bought it for me. I did a whole dark angels army really was able to do like the base colors super fast and then did all some details and was like, holy shit. Even though I, you know, put a lot of time in that army, I was like, it was really a lot faster than the old, you know, like having brushed all that shit. Right. Mm-hmm. I was like, I think we're onto something here, mom. And then I went and talked to actually Brandon Palmer from GMM studios, a good friend of mine. He was like, yo, I got this a lot of eclipse. And I was like, all right, word went and bought the new airbrush instantly up the game, figured some shit out and was like, I think I got something here. And then, uh, launched a commission painting studio in 2010 uh one of the first guys using an airbrush on the scene and was able to kind of figure out how to change my painting style to support this and also have it be marketable because you got to do these projects right you got to put them out the door so i basically started marrying quantity and quality together for like the first couple years it kind of came up with a, a pretty solid system of airbrushing washing and edge highlights. Those are like my three techniques I teach in my classes. Those are like the pillar, the base. They're all techniques. They're not skills. And we, over six years in a row of refining this process, getting faster at it and adding things to it, we're able to sustainably put out a 2000 point army in two weeks as a one man show. And so that was like a six year journey that started with that Aztec plastic shit airbrush that ended about four years ago when I moved to Los Angeles. No. So with that, let me ask this. I've seen you also, besides just gaming models, you've also painted some larger scale stuff and some busts. Does that help break up the commission side of it for you? Or, I mean, like, I, you know, to me, somebody, I, I have a hard time because I used to be a gamer, not really. I never really got too much into it. But the concept of painting a squad to me, like, is painful. You know, <laughs> I just want to paint one mini, yeah. and move on to the next, and such. And so, um, I'm, 
how do you kind of deal with that with you know putting out a 2000 point army in two in two weeks that's to me that sounds ridiculous i know you can do it and massive props to you because you're your shit looks good, man. You're you're a very talented painter. Well, I appreciate um, it. But I, I just the concept of like, speed painting is doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> no, no doubt. And so the journey ended four years ago. I don't commission anymore. Okay. And so that was a, so. To answer your previous question and this question, kind of at the same time, is like how did that prepare me for teaching? Was it? It's kind of like kind of like a. It's almost like a joke. It's like a parody. Like you know where someone's like advertising their personal martial arts system. They're like, uh, learned it in the trenches of, you know, Afghanistan, or three tours, my personal martial arts system, Ken Kwon Do, like learn everything you need to know about self-defense. Like, well, in the trenches of six years of trying to figure out how to make model, like what to sacrifice, because you can't just go all out when you're doing a commission, right? That's impossible. Like how to sacrifice things and add things that would kind of like cover that, right? Like, how, how do you like show someone a model that like you definitely cut corners on cause you had to, but make it like, okay. That was kind of always the problem, the equation we had to solve with airbrushing. And that's where my personal style is like that really aggressive airbrush transitions. Right. That like, so, like that you would have seen in some of my older, some of my, you know, four years ago commissions, like preposterous, dramatic, it's real dark pops super fast, very cleanly though, but it's hyper transition. That's kind of how, we answer that question through that airbrush stage you kind of just create something to look at something really cool right it took a while to catch on because in the early days people were like i don't like it you know and that was more like people online didn't like the fact that I could paint two thousand points of models in two weeks that's more what they didn't like and i think now in 2020 people are like airbrush is awesome and even gw does it now and so i agree with you painting a whole army is hard and it is a mental state you have to get into and that is augmented greatly by a contract with a client and money. And that will keep sure you enough. on the task. But also you gotta have a technique locked and loaded. Like you can't just go into it like you're a dope ass painter, check out my minis. You know, like Sam Lance, great example. Dude's a fucking maniac, right? Mm -hmm. His paint jobs are preposterous. The shit he can pull out. That dude, you come at, you come at him and you're like, yo, give me uh, you know, I want 65 Space Marines, 12 tank chassis and this. He's not gonna be able to come into it with his normal style. Right. That's just crazy, right? So you have to come into it with a new version of your techniques and styles that facilitates that. That's most of what I teach mm -hmm. on, my, on my live streams and my private classes is people come to me. They're like, I want to paint some stuff. I've got, I want to do space wolves. Like, I love them. I fucking got high. I went to the local game shop, saw them, bought the whole shit, and I need to paint it. And my base level techniques, like my pillar of techniques are designed to make that happen as fast as possible, right? But I don't believe it is anywhere remotely even comparable to like what we do when we, when we paint a single model or a single bus. That's a completely different mental state. That is a, that's like therapy. That's like meditation. That's full blown. The act of doing it is the, 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 the dopamine, right? A lot of times the completion of the task, I don't even give a shit about the model now. Like I'll finish oh. Gasgol and I'm like, cool. I don't care. I'll give them away now. Like it was that enjoyment I got from the process. Whereas when you're doing the army, it's the completion. That is the dopamine. It is the bringing it to a social gathering at a GT or a, any local game store and putting it on a table, getting to play with your minis that you painted and have even one guy walk by and say, that looks awesome. And then you get that feeling so that it's, so you're working toward that. That So if you can, 
put yourself in that headspace while you're trying to complete the army task, knowing that a lot of these moments are a grind to achieve that final result. That's how I get through it. Nice. And you know, what's interesting too, that you say this, that initially there was kind of resistance to that technique of the fast transition and the pop, but that's all you hear about nowadays is contrast, 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 more contrast. And so it sounds to me like you were a bit ahead of the game in that world that, that you kind of had that concept down that in order for models to pop on the table, you got to have that, that, that transition's got to be large and in charge, you know? It's got the contrast. I talk about it all the time. I guess it's a painting podcast, but I talk about it in my private mm -hmm. classes all the time. And I always dumb it down uh, real basic. I was like, forget all the boring studying, all the schoolwork. I was like, you got values, you got hues, right? Mm -hmm. And like, there's a lot more to it than that, but you got values and you got hues. And imagine you're a DJ and you got like, you got your, you got your record here and you got, you, you got your, your EQ and your volume controls, whatever. And you're like sliding, you're sliding them back and forth, right? And so you're basically informing and people are like, oh, like a color was like, man, fuck a color wheel. I was like, DJs are way cooler. You know, <laughs> basically you get to decide how, like how dark something is, how bright something is. That is a very basic and probably the front line of contrast, right? And you get to drop hues into it to make them interesting, right? So when you are, you have distance, right? Like you have a certain amount of distance on a model, like a shoulder pad to achieve contrast, which is like shadows, the bright points and everything in between. But when you're playing on Photoshop and you're messing with contrast, it's really only cares about two things, the dark shadows and the bright points, right? Is there information there? Is there lost information there? How aggressive are those gonna be? So you have this opportunity as an artist to introduce a style, which is how like much of an artistic license you're gonna take with that drama or that shadow, that's the first part. So I let those shadows creep up far in that distance window that we're discussing, like if it's a shoulder pad, I am fully down to let that first dark shadow be sometimes 50% of the, of the surface area of the shoulder pad, bring in a clean little mid-tone transition and immediately pop, bring that highlight in. And whereas like, a, you know, you look at a GW Ultramarine, their box art's fantastic. It's basically just blue. And the way they got contrast is with the washes and the crevices making it opaque and dark and then they edge highlights. So that's their contrast. I'm like, why don't you do both? What if you did both? What if you did that and you brought this crazy transition game to it? And like, that's the drama. That's what I consider dramatic in a model. And right, in the old days on DACA, I post these models and people like, too airbrushy, hate it, bleh. You know, and I'd be like, yo, literally laughing all over the bank, son. Someone just paid me for that. So right. we'll no, see I now. We'll see, who's, we'll, see, we'll, see, we'll see in 10 years. And here we are. <laughs> right, in 10 years, there you are, right? You're doing this for a living, you know? And that's, and that's what's interesting. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. One of the things my co-host and I talked about is that when he's been in the hobby much longer than I have, and he said about that 10, 15 years ago, airbrushing was kind of a taboo thing, you know? Mm -hmm. like, oh, they airbrushed that. And now it's like... It was like a pejorative. Is that the, is that the right word? Yeah, no, right, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Not a no. word scientist. I just heard that on another podcast. So I'm just like, <laughs> is this context? Is this? Okay, now I'm, I'm excited. I, I, I got you to use the, the scientist in a phrase. The, the, this podcast interview is a success. Um, so I, I, it's one of the things I appreciate. It. You, there, there is only one you out there, and you're to, uh, totally enjoyable to listen to and make, it engage, and make painting engaging, which is great. Um, so let me ask you this. What, um, as a teacher... What do you find one of the hardest things to convey to your students or to get them to kind of 
move along with you? Like, where, where, do you find any kind of common sticking points that they might have? Um, I know for me, I, my, my big issue is that uh, I can't, I, I stop on contrast. Like my brain like fights me saying I didn't go, I, I went far enough. And uh, I have a mentor that I work with is like, dude, you don't even have black in that yet. What are you talking about? I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> and fighting. So is there, are there kind of common things that you run into when you're teaching? Oh, yeah. What you just said. Oh. Literally, that is, a, I mean, like, literally, I know at this point in the game, I, to a high degree of accuracy, already know in our first, like, you know, private coaching session I'm going to do with somebody uh, through, you know, video uh, cover software. We both have cameras, but we're, we're going to be working together. I pretty much know, like, the three first things. Uh, especially since my first lesson is going to be airbrushing, right? Like, cause we have the three pillars of my techniques and airbrushing, it starts there. We're just really trying to go back in time and go on my journey, right? Like I was like, all I know is how I did it. And we're going to just have to do it in that order. I already know they're going to have an issue with contrast right out the gate. I already know what they're going to probably do is accidentally repaint the model three times. Like they're going to like, they're going to be hitting it with an airbrush. You know, they got a good dark color picked out, a good midtone color picked out and a good bright color picked out. I know they're going to airbrush it try to admit three times it's a vacuum statement right like dark mid bright and then in the end they're gonna be like i'll use the same three colors you use in your youtube video but like mine's just almost just the midtone and barely any of the you know or maybe just the bright color mix of the midtone. like what happened i already know it's gonna be exactly what you said it's we have a lot of nursery rhymes on my platform be brave in the beats lab it's mm. like just go just be a gangster man like i can leave that first like shadow you brought in Go hard. And sometimes, and you said black just a second ago. I just did a class with a guy and I was like, we were doing uh, uh, salamanders. Okay. Right. And he's like, all right, they're prime black. I watch all your videos and I know how you marry your colors. Like you'll pick out a color, then you'll make sure that like you'll hit that and then you'll mingle some of that paint water with the next as a bridge before you go to that color is how you build up your transitions. I was like, yeah. So what'd you fuck up? He's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, it's already black. You just went straight to the first green, son. Like, well, you need to mingle it with some black. You need to talk that paint and stick into that black and marry that shadow in and then boost up, leave some of that black behind, pop that contrast. That is like every, I did a Blood Angel one, exactly the same, like literally a Space Wolf guy. It's always that. It's always they end up repainting the model three times. They forget about the leaving things behind. And I always equate it to imagine three arrows right? The first arrow is the whole model. That's not, that's the darkness. The next arrow goes about halfway up, right? And changes the color to your midtone, but leaves half of the first arrow behind, which is the shadow. And then the final arrows are your highlight, the same thing. That's a very basic, clean understanding of what you're doing with those three colors. And next level painting, bro, that first arrow that was dark is, is literally left mostly intact. Like we're not going halfway down that arrow with the midtone. We're going like, 20% down that arrow, <laughs> like leaving it behind. And literally that is a, after one hour in a private lesson with somebody with an airbrush, even a guy who just started airbrushing, they are producing models typically to a high degree of success where I was at going into my second year of next level painting commission studios, like 2011, September, 2011. I, and they're like, Oh, you're too kind. I literally have pictures already from my gallery timestamp 2011. Boom. Check it out. They're like, holy shit. They look the same. I was like, yeah. Because all it was, was me doing a year of like aimless trial and error with no YouTube videos. 
to figure this out. And if somebody just explained it to me in one hour video session, I could do it. Right. And that's yeah. literally what happens. <laughs> Airbrushing is easy. Anyone can do it straight up. It's just a technique and a tool that if somebody breaks down a couple elements of that tool, you are good at airbrushing, which is why I get a little annoyed online when I put out a contrast <laughs> challenge video for the new GW contrast paints, mm -hmm. like versus my airbrush model. All the people who are anti-airbrushing were like, yeah, but like, you, you know, like nobody can airbrush like that out the box. I was like, but you can. I swear <laughs> to you, man. I swear to you. Well, I mean, dude, and people have to agree with you, man. You got what? 60,000 subscribers on YouTube. You put out over 406 videos. You, I mean, you're over 1,400 posts on Patreon. God, that's just YouTube, man. Fucking, I don't even give a shit about YouTube. YouTube's a commercial for me at this point. I've got like probably 1,000 videos on Patreon. Yep, no, that's actually, like, yeah, 1,400 posts, 1,000 videos. I mean, yeah, like impressive. Like, <laughs> I mean, like it's, it's like, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's just repetition, man. Like, and I will say, that commission painting for six years in a row, doing it at a rate and a pace you would normally never, ever do, because that's crazy, leveled me up so hard. It was like Dragon Ball Z hyperbolic time <laughs> chamber training, bro. Like it was, it was like 12 years of work. Nice. It was crazy, man. Sounds like a baptism by fire situation yeah. too. Like it's, it's all, <laughs> like you're running around crazy, running around crazy. So besides painting, though, do you have any other hobbies that you do? What keeps uh, you sane? Uh, playing the game. I'm actually I'm a gamer first, bro. Like I I like I love painting because I'm an artist. It's a part of my DNA. Like I you know I draw. I design T-shirts now. Like I've kind of reconnected with my old illustration background. Mm -hmm. uh, that's fun. I love that. But like. Playing this game, talking about this game, uh, we have a competitive 40K podcast. Like, I teach a tactics class, too. Like, I love going out and winning games, smashing on the tabletop, man. Like, that's that's my number one draw in this hobby, in Warhammer 40K, is, like, winning games. Wait, that's part of the, the Long War, right? That's yeah. uh, the group. Nice. They're yeah, very the nice. Long War podcast. We started that about six years ago. But that's, we, you know, we catch you up on news, what's happening, and we usually, like, talk about some new FAQs, some new rules, and new strategy interactions. and yeah. That's awesome. No, it's, you sound like a very busy man. I can't, I just paint casually and can barely fit that into my schedule. I can't imagine doing it full time. <laughs> you know, it's, it's bro, for real though. You're not wrong, but it's funny. Cause you, uh, it's, it's, this is the first interview I've ever done like on a painting podcast. And so like, I've gotten to kind of crack out and go real, like real ranty on some painting topics here, which is really fun. And thank you for allowing me to have like a outlet to just rant about painting. I haven't, I don't do oh, that yeah. on, on the long war. I don't do like, we don't, that's not what it's about. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I was like, Oh, that was, that was actually pretty fucking cool, man. Like just go, go off on the other part of this hobby that I've like, do every fucking day no matter what. <laughs> no, man, you're, and I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this too. You're always welcome to come rant and talk about painting, man. That's a, Dan and I view this as once you're on the, on the podcast, your family, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll help, we'll, we'll do whatever we can to help you out, you know, but I do, I have a technical question about airbrushing and I've asked this before to a couple people and they haven't been able to answer it. What is the difference between like Vallejo airbrush thinner and airbrush flow improver? Ah, good question. Uh, basically it's hard. It's hard because they pretty much printed the same label on them. <laughs> they're basically the same label, which is misleading AF. Like 
they are completely different. They do different things and they both tell you they do the same thing. Thinner is like, imagine if like you wanted to thin your paint, you wanted to maybe dry a little faster, but you maybe didn't want it to be like goopier, right? Like that's what thinner does. Where flow improver is like really in the name. It improves the flow. It also does slow the dry time down. Even though the label says it, it doesn't, it does. It slows the dry time down. It helps you thin the paint in a different way uh, to like maybe not like separate the pigments as easily. Uh, I use flow improver when I'm painting with, with uh, acrylic paints. I literally never use thinner, thinner's garbage. It does the exact opposite of what you actually want, which was misleading information back in the day. We thought we wanted our paint to dry faster because back when we didn't know what the fuck we were doing, we were a bunch of ham-fisted airbrush artists, like we were watching the paint build up on the models, get kind of wet. We're like, oh, we need to add alcohol or Windex. Nah, bro, you, what you need to do is learn how to use your airbrush and you want your paint to dry slower because any, any drying in a needle or on the tip is gonna cause splatter and desirable effects and the paint's gonna start drying in the pot and that's all bad. I literally only use airbrush thinner if I'm running a primer, like a polyurethane primer to the airbrush or like a varnish. My thinner lasts years. My airbrush, I go through airbrush flow improver like on the daily. Right, yeah, that makes sense. So then let me ask you this question too, along since we're kind of doing a little bit of tactics. I noticed one of the areas that I struggle with with airbrushing are lighter colors have a tendency to chalk up both brush and airbrush. But I noticed that I get a lot more speckling with airbrush, like doing lighter colors. I know I'm, I'm really trying to practice my Zen and fall highlighting. And I always get that white that kind of the edges are speckled. You know, I got a nice top, you know, the nice first part is, is looks good, but then you look at the edge, it's very speckly. Is there a, what, is there some technique that people can do to help decrease that? Yeah. This is a super common question, brother. Okay. Uh, first and foremost, always keep the tip clean. That's one of our nursery rhymes. So yeah. periodically check your tip, make sure nothing's drying up there, crusting on there, use a little toothbrush, whatever. That's always keep that, especially when you're working with bright colors. Now the reason that this is occurring when you go up to a really bright color is twofold. It's actually, a lot of people think it's innately a, a, a characteristic of white or bright colors. It's sometimes it can be, but really it's a byproduct of the sudden jump in value. Okay. And so when you're working with like a dark green, a mid-tone green and a bright green, this is something I always tell, encourage people to do is like, take a picture of your, your three colors that you've chosen for this project that you've been happy with and you get no issues with. Take a picture of them on your phone and everyone's got an app where you can desaturate it and just turn it black and white. Look at those three colors on the grayscale. Take the hues out of it, the vibrancy, so you can really understand what values you're playing with here. And you will actually find that they are very subtle, very small shifts. I did this with a student the other day with his three greens. They have like wall, flesh, warpstone green, and mood green. And when we did that exercise, I showed him, because I do a lot of my, my uh coaching i use i'll bring up photoshop and screen share and i was like warpstone green is literally nine percent brighter than Wafflesh. like and you thought this was this you know this huge mid-tone that you were moving to it was like you're barely moving the value but then when you go to move green now that you see in black and white it's almost incalculably white comparatively right. but it's, it's 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 so by marrying your colors together each step of the way, you do eliminate some of that grain on those transitions, that speckling, as you called it. So like, if you had uh, wall flesh, you hit it, then it kind of 50 50 it with warpstone green, hit it, and then 50-50, that mix with moot green, then ended on moot green, 
those marriage steps, those bridges do eliminate the speculate. The issue when you go to like a white is you're usually making a really hard jump way more aggressively than you realize you're doing. So a lot of times that marriage step needs to be upheld with a with a with like with more steps, right? Because the the more subtle the value shift, the more forgiving. Now the other part of it is thin. Pretty much all speckling can be. I can literally paint white directly over black with no speckling if I go thin enough. If I if I use enough loam prover and enough water, and I'm basically painting with dirty paint water, and I and I can control that that brush pressure i can build up very slowly pure white white scar white from gw over black and not do the speckling but not everyone has the has the rehearsal to be able to do that which is basically why i always tell people ink white ink works really well and you see a lot of other youtubers bring up white ink and the reason it works really well is because it is already innately thin right. super, super thin. fucking thin and high pigment mm -hmm. so like you start losing the pigment when you start thinning the paint which means you got to do more steps, more coats, more passes, and it gets really monotonous, you know? Mm -hmm. But in a nutshell, that is what is occurring when you're going to those bright colors. Now, when you're doing it with a paintbrush, probably because you broke it. You probably broke the pigment from the medium. Right. That's getting chalky. Excuse me. Sorry. Um, and it, the ink makes sense, too, because it just had the realization it's glossy. And so... It, that, gloss a, is like a flow improver. Right. Yeah. Like gloss medium is like a flow improver. That 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 is that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for for kind of answering the techniques. I I don't want to get I don't want you to give away any of the the ancient techniques that you do on your Patreon. I want people to go pay you to do that. Bro, my <laughs> my platform is free to play, bro. Like it's I copy free to play video games. Everything you can find anything I've ever talked about for free if you want to grind. If you want to be on my Twitch show for three hours, you know. Six, six, nine hours a week, you can find any piece of information I've ever talked about in real time as it's occurring. If you want to go to, you want to jump through my massive archive on YouTube, you can, like, the amount of, like, Patreon exclusive stuff we do um, is much smaller than the free-to-play stuff. And even the stuff we talk about in there might be presented in a more creative way, in a more concise way, but that information is still 100% free on my platform. Awesome. As a person in the community, I really appreciate that you do that for the community. Thank you. Um, so a little bit of a change of pace for you. And so I, I don't know if you noticed in the notes, one of the first videos of yours that I saw was that you found that <laughs> metal, uh, I believe it was an eight American model. Yeah. It was a Sioux, uh, war, uh, Sioux war chief. Okay. So is that, did you paint that on the Patreon exclusive content? You know, I actually never finished it. You never like, finished I, it I started it on Twitch, did a couple of YouTube slash Patreon early release videos and I think he's still waiting to have his shield and his spear painted. Mm -hmm. So like it just ended up because like sometimes when I like when a video gets too many volumes deep, I, I leave it because you lose them. You lose the audience. Like right. you can't just be spent six weeks on a project. You got you got to be tactical about the uh, entertainment uh, aspects of presenting this. So I never finished it. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people have asked about it and I do plan to finish it. And I actually have a bag of models that my mom would have cast with uh, that company she worked for back in New Hope, Pennsylvania in the 60s and 70s. It was just one of her dad's many side projects that he was invested in and they were casting minis and she was just in there and as, uh, on the summer, every summer, slinging, slinging old G, probably lead infused pewter <laughs> into, into pressure or spin cast pots or whatever. And so that was, that's real life. So 40K Sue actually 
cast some of those and it's like I, I'm, I feel ashamed but I can't remember the name of the company because it literally never came up until my mom sent me that model right uh like I think it's called like mid like god I think it's like Midgard mm-hmm. like something like god I don't it's still I know it's still a cool thing I mean now what did you know that you were that she had done that in the past before no, like no, you, no, you, no clue no <laughs> no clue it just it literally was as shocking to me as anyone else like like i like my mom i know i mean bro like it's so it was so crazy my mom got into slinging 40k minis on ebay because i used to own a game shop i was like y'all failed the business so many times and this one of my businesses was started a brick and mortar game shop obviously it did not work because that is really hard yeah, that's and crazy uh, case, yeah. he did me a real solid like i was planning on like road tripping to colorado and you know like seeing the world now so she did me a solid and bought our old inventory for two G's like sight unseen, like, which was like a little bit of a deal, but like really generous offer. Mm-hmm. So she was just like trying to give her son some, some walking around cash on this new journey he was about to go on. And so she had this huge pile of minis and just like started eBay and built a little eBay presence. She did that for like about a decade. Wow. Like, and then she started just buying new lots and like, she, that was like a total side hustle for four. That's where 40 K two came from total side hustle for like 10 years. That's awesome. That's like, awesome. Well, I can't imagine like now I, I feel so bad for all the game store owners right now. I mean, it's just, it's terrible. You know what I mean? Bro, you know, like I'll tell you what, man, being like having to figure out how business works as an art person, <laughs> which is not easy right. for, like I now understand things I didn't used to understand. Like I've been best friends and business partners with Rob Bear, Spiky Bits for years now, like a decade. Mm-hmm. And he has taught me a lot of things. And like, essentially it's like the intent, like you start this business and like, it's really not about getting rich. Right. It's really just about having an idea that you're excited about and, you know, create a good service, whatever. Uh, and going into the world on your own, like being like on a career or being self-employed, they're, they have different risks associated with them and different rewards associated with them. And I find that like starting your own business is a lot of front front end risk. And right. once you get it stable, you realize that like what you're really doing is the same thing as someone who's on a career path is like, you go, you get the paycheck and then you do whatever you're going to do with that paycheck. It's really just that there's not like this extra amount of money that's appearing in your coffers every month. It's like you hire a new employee because you have extra money and like you create a better service. And so like, there's like these companies, people don't realize like even a successful local game store that might be amazing doesn't have like this crazy bank account. Right. They are just paying their employees, including themselves every month. They might take a bigger cut because they own the bitch and that's their right. But like, it's really just that it's like you're, you're creating a, a way to pay people. Mm-hmm. And most businesses don't have really more than 30 days of, of that ability. And like that. And so that's what a lot of game stores, they were like, we're, we're closed. It's not like, Hey, we'll open after COVID. They're literally like week one, like, this is it. Got, we're done. Right. Like, cause you, you go 30 days without taking money in and like, that's it. Everyone's laid off, including people own it. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, so that happened. And the realness of, do you remember when Adepticon said, we're not going to have a convention this year? Yeah. I think that was the realest fucking moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was heartbreaking. Even the, even the Adepticant was great, but it still wasn't the same thing as the convention, for sure. Think about all the other people who were like rely on trade shows. Yeah. 
to put like I would say I don't this I can't this I can't confirm this but I would I would speculate 30 to 45% of of your annual uh, money in your mm-hmm. revenue could come from that single trade show depending right. on where you're at and how many years you've been going and what kind of audience you've built mm-hmm. that, that's enough to crush right that's that's a that's brutal yeah there's somebody i talked to that uh said that between adepticon dragon con and nova open that was a hundred percent of their money for the year you know what i mean that that was and now they lost adepticon and dragon con and so nobody knows if nova's going or not this year or not either so because <laughs> i actually live in the same state and we're still on at least till june 15th under a stay-at-home order yeah, and even then, like a lot of putting together a convention or a trade show at that level together is, is that that shit's happening right now. Right, like you got your boots on the ground, like at the hotel, figuring things out. Like there's so mm-hmm. much work that goes into putting on a trade show as big as Adepticon or Dover DragonCon that, like, if they if like like you can't do it in two weeks. That's very true. You now, like, and so it's like these cutoffs are really you know it's it's. It's super unfortunate, especially since we're a bunch of introverted as nerves, right? We're <laughs> right. totally down. But like everyone forgot that like everything we do takes another person to do it with. It's true. Like yeah. it's, it is actually incredibly social. It's super social. We go to these trade shows, we interact, we, we roll some dice with some people. That is in even Dungeons and Dragons, the nerdiest of the fucking nerds. <laughs> no. they, you, it's not a single player game, son. Like this is all a community. This is all social beyond belief. Yeah, that's very true. That's, that is very true. It's a good point for sure. Cause there definitely a lot of us look at, like the, the perception is that we're these introverted nerds, which probably true. You know, it's true, but you know, there is a, we do, we, we do the introverted nerd thing together, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> in yep. large, in large group, large groups for sure. But yeah, well, yeah we're de- like, you know, and it's funny. Cause like, I think we're more like comfortable in our own heads doing hobbies like it's it's not really like we're introverted like in a, in a stand mm-hmm. like we don't avoid being together you know like we're just like totally confident and and happy with our hobbies and when we go out to like lvo like I'll, that's the biggest group of introverted nerds i've ever seen drinking beers and getting drunk right <laughs> like oh yeah that's totally textbook introverted like you know what i mean it's like <laughs> for sure for sure so along, along kind of those same lines and in your time in the hobby what's kind of been the biggest thing that you've seen change that's kind of happened like what's kind of been the biggest well it doesn't have to be the biggest how about a big thing that you feel like has impacted it uh, it's interesting um G- when gw left when they left and i'm talking about the tournament scene right like because i'm gamer first Right. When they left, when they pulled out, all the GTs were grand tournaments. That was a GW title. Like we had Rogue Traders, which were local game store hosted, and GTs. Right, that was it. So we were we were we were scooping up the G the, the the Rogue Trader tournaments. And a lot of people now are like, "Why do you call them RTs? Who's just coming into it now?" And it's like, "Oh, it's kind of an old term. It's kind of like why the save icons an old floppy disk." And like, you know, like people are like, "What is that?" You know, <laughs> so. It's like we used to go, we scoop up, we'd, we'd hit all these RTs in our area, go to these big GTs and try to crush it out. GW's just like, fuck this one day, they left. So there's this huge void. Sorry, no, I was just, my son walked by and I was giving him a thumbs up. <laughs> the, world, the world we live in, I apologize. The world, <laughs> world we live in, homie. Um, it, Frontline Gaming. Frontline Gaming, my man Reese, Frankie, and all the guys, like, you know, a lot of my friends over there. These guys, 
everyone had a kind of the same idea at the same time. Like, oh, we got, we got to do it. We got to take control. We got to make this happen. And then you saw a bunch of kind of like regional uh, versions of that pop up. Nova, uh, Adepticon, and then out here on the west side of the country, you had Frontline Gaming doing their Thug Thizzle, right? So kind of like, and then in the south, you had some, you had some stuff like War Games Com back in the day, things like that. So everyone kind of had their own idea over the years. People try to unify. It really wasn't until uh, recent, my man Frankie, were able to really put down the effort required and the work into creating an ITC, the like league, creating a unified kind of like set of side rules, which kind of blossomed during this void that was filled. And then like sixth edition and seventh edition, garbage edition uh, problems with rules. People were really onboarding with this new idea. And now what you have is you have a system that can be played anywhere that feeds into a kind of that concept of a pro tour that incentivizes you to want to do as many tournaments as possible, even on a local level with different guidelines and different points uh, able to be earned. And now everyone, including these other guys who had their own ideas of how tournaments should be run and everyone was their own little nation for so long, they're keeping their formats unique but they are incorporating ITC into them. And now we have thousands of games of, of ITC being played every week across the globe, people reporting to a greater score authority and getting hype on playing and going out to these stores and socializing, playing, buying models, you know, new podcasts popping up based on this. You got the Art of War, my man Richard Siegler and uh, Nick Brown over there, mm-hmm. Nick Navadi. These guys have created, like there's a new market now, just like in esports. Where like dudes are like teaching you how to play League of Legends, like that is a market that did not exist. That's a that's a a, a version of commerce and services that now exists because this how it occurred. That is the biggest change. That is the biggest shift. The move toward I like to call it G sports, <laughs> yeah. but some people are like eh, but like. We're, we're, See, we're I would mess up. It. I would mess up and call it G spots. Uh, that, that's why I want to call. That's that was my. <laughs> That was, everything's got to be an innuendo for me, you know, like, that's but, hate. <laughs> but that that's the biggest change. And like, it doesn't matter if you're a painter and you don't give a shit about the comp- competitive scene. We now live in a time in 2020 where the GW has finally recognized how much of everything down the pyramid, the competitive scene in, uh, informs now with all this, you know, digital revolution and everything being on the internet, they're back supporting frontline gamings, coming to LVO, coming to Adepticon, coordinating with them, shot casting with them. And GW now understands that like this meta that's on a hobby pyramid where like at the very top, there's a very small percentage of people compared to what's at the bottom and what their interests are. But they're so loud with it, with like what's occurring with these meta shifts, what units are really cool, what units aren't cool, that that does heavily inform the base of the hobby pyramid, as Rob would say, on what they should be buying and being efficient with their spending dollars. So now there is this crazy, um, like, you know, just merging of ideas and interests that support each other. And that's, there's really been a rift. Like, oh, I'm not a tournament player. Fuck those guys. Or I'm a, you're like, oh, look at these filthy casuals. But now it's kind of like, we're all the same now. That's really what's occurred. That's, I mean, you know, it's funny. The, the entire time you're talking about this, I'm like, wow, the, this is actually kind of the, the same shit that happened with painting too, kind of at a, at the same exact time that mm-hmm. you know that all everything this- literally name a thing competitive sewing it doesn't matter like it literally <laughs> all this is hap- it's happening to every industry every market same uh, time 
Did you just give up your next business venture, next level selling? <laughs> yeah, I'm already, already, we already make candles now too. Right. Okay. <laughs> next level I'm, candles. I'm down for anything, bro. I got uh, anything creative. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I didn't mean to put you on a, uh, uh, interrupt you there, but you were you're saying. Fine. Oh no, you're fine. It's just, you know, we, we, there's no way you can avoid painting and gaming coming together. So that doesn't that doesn't matter to us in the, sh in the show. We talk about it all, but it's just interesting when I was listening to you, it's kind of the same thing. You know, think about this 15 years ago, we, really were those painters from Europe coming over and teaching classes here in the U S you know, yeah, where, and there was no little to no accessibility. Right. You know, I, and to me, to me, it was like when I came back, cause I, I was in the hobby when I was in high school for about two years and I took a 25 year break. And then I see a GW wash and I'm like, where was this voodoo when I was growing up? You know, because even yeah. the white dwarfs just said, use a wash. And they didn't tell you how, what a wash was. Now, so. accessibility to techniques. People used to kind of like hide their techniques and coven their secret sauce. Mm -hmm. okay. And now, now because tutorials are a part of everyday life and YouTube is like a, such a big part of our life. That's kind of gone away. Accessibility, it's there. Google, like literally anything, Google it. Go to go to YouTube. Use their search bar. Like you will find an answer to any question you can have on a paint job. Now, that just wasn't the case back in the day. Right. Well, and it's amazing too that you can approach artists. I I, I would I was always had the mentality like, oh, they're going to tell me to shut up and go away. But now you ask anybody how they did something, they'll gladly tell you how they did it. You know, it's such a community situation. But it's also though I will say it's because of people like you that drive it, that put that free content out there, that make yourself available and are a model for others to see, you know, if somebody learns how to do something, they see how you did it and then try it that way is too. So it feeds upon each other. Definitely an interesting sub market there. Cause definitely me and Rob were old heads, right? Like now we're like the OGers. Like we were <laughs> like, we had a blog, blog spot. We had blogs, right? Like we thought we had like a podcast. Cause then they were like, yo, you heard this new thing called podcast. Like, I don't have an iPod. What the fuck is that? You know? Right. And then we're like, oh, people want to hear us talk. They don't want to read our long-winded, very smartly constructed articles that we took a couple of days to write anymore. They want to hear you say it. They're like, okay, so we shifted to that, right? Because that was that's what, what the market asked for, right? Mm -hmm. And then one day they were like, oh, well, they also kind of want to see it. So then we started <laughs> like videoing that concept and also throwing up some YouTube videos. And then one day, one day, which was a two-year process, I had a sticky note on my computer that said, and I've told this story a hundred times. It's a Twitch question mark. <laughs> one day, my man Kyle Sadi, shout out to my boy Kyle Sadi, Vagrant Wolf on Twitch. He quartered me at Adepticon a couple, like three years back. He was like, brah, brah, Twitch. I was like, I got a sticky note I know. He's like, nope, when you get home, hit me up on Skype. He walked me through it. That was four years ago. And that's right around when I moved to Los Angeles. And started figuring out that scene because people were craving the live version now. And it, it was kind of a filtering process, if you think about it, from like the blog all the way to the live. And it kind of filtered out what the uh, market needed to have these ideas presented to them in a digestible way. And it, really just following that path in that order, being lucky enough to have started in like 2009, 2010 range, uh, I had to learn all those things on this journey. And that put me in kind of like an old head category in 2020, where now you're seeing podcasts or uh, YouTube channels come out like Miniac, for example, like Scott from Miniac, like the pro most preposterously well-produced 
uh, video quality scripted content I've ever fucking witnessed. That was not even a thing right. back in the day. Right. So I, I come at the market seeing guys like him. I'm just like, wow, man, like hell yeah, dude. And like, I'm over here with a pathetic amount of uh, subscribers and views on my YouTube channel, which is like an archaic old version of YouTube basically compared to his. And I'm like, man, I'm so glad that like guys like him exist to inspire like mm -hmm. this generation because it's so incredible you know like then you got like goobertown hobbies one of my favorite dudes on youtube right now brent from goobertown like the most i call him the most genuinely interesting dude to listen to <laughs> on youtube like straight up incredible man from those guys to like people on twitch who are just so preposterously creative with their live schema like there's this guy called uh malaflo shinobi on twitch dude is an incredible miniature painter but also has a couple of EPs and is a, it is a rapper. Oh, wow. Okay. And literally has like lyricless tracks playing constantly through his show and will bang out freestyles on the fly in exchange for like, you know, certain tasks accomplished and maybe new follower alerts. I'm like, that is the most <laughs> like interesting thing I've ever heard of. You know what I mean? And like, it's just like, that is the world we live in now. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so different than like when we and Rob started, we were just like, all right, let's figure out what a podcast is. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and when it first started out, it was like that white, like I found the white dwarf and that was like, that was the only information available that you could get. Cause they didn't, I think even when I started the, the first USGW store, I think was in Springfield near where I, where I live, but that didn't come till ages later. And like, I was, I went, didn't even live here when that came, but, um, I got to flip open a magazine, man. Think about that shit. Yeah. <laughs> I Analog it, tutorials. I, I, you know, at some level though, I, I miss it. I don't subscribe anymore to, to, uh, to, uh, I do all that stuff online now, like looking at pictures and I get all my interest, like kind of that kind of inspirational stuff. But I do miss being able to sit through that big fat monthly games workshop and the, the, the white dwarf and just looking through it. But uh, so I want to ask you this question too, because so you've been around for a long, uh, for for quite a while. Um, is there a model out there that ha that hasn't been made yet that you'd like to see be made? And I, I always use the example is that I want to see the Stephen King Dark Tower series, the uh -huh. miniatures done from that. Like I would love a, a killer gunslinger with his hawk, David. Uh, I would love to paint that. But that would be sick. That would be sick. Um, no, honestly. Well, you just gave, like, at first I was like, I don't give a shit. Like, because GW is my favorite plastic model making company in the world. Mm -hmm. I think they're the most innovative, uh, like, just like technology, you know, changing, like, plastic yeah. model making company in the world, which is also why, like, I have a massive hate for the Forge World part of their studio, because that's like 10 years ago technology. And every, pretty much every boutique resin caster and 3D printer is better than them. Right. right? So, like, I think of GW instantly. And I'm like, you know what? I'm happy with like Gasgold just dropped. A lot of people were like, man, I don't like his post. It's like, when you get it in your hands, you're going to be like, that's the coolest model I've ever fucking seen. <laughs> right? Because it's so cool. Right? All these Asian Sigma models. So I just like, you know, it's like being surprised by like just crazy cool shit. Right? But you brought up a book that I also love dearly. And I listen to like 60 audio books a year while I'm painting, which is one of my secrets to staying motivated. Mm -hmm. uh, now I suddenly want the Stormlight, Stormlight Archive series from Brandon Sanderson. Like mm -hmm. I want like all their shard armor and like all those characters on the tabletop. Bro, Brandon Sanderson, 
God damn it, listen to this podcast, get a Kickstarter or something going <laughs> like a regular person and get get that in production, man. Yeah, see, and that's one of the things too when we were talking about comic books. Like, uh, if you uh, have you seen the Dark Tower graphic novels? I'm aware of their existence. I haven't actually read one. The first Gunslinger is actually done by Jay Lee. And oh, dope. Take the words. You don't need the words. You no. can do the whole story just by looking at the artwork. You don't, words are useless. Yes. You know, and it, they almost take away from you. Like, no, hi, let's get those words out of there. Let me just see this without Let it. Let me just look at this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I have it. I have like a hand, co- uh, like a physical copy and both in a digital copy. And I constantly wind up looking at it. It's just, you know, breathtaking artwork, but well, that's cool. Yeah. That would be, that would be awesome. You know, the other one I always throw out too is the silver Hawks from the eighties TV show. Oh my God. So I had a pair of silver Hawk tennis shoes nice like the nice. really ridiculous like thick plastic reflective <laughs> shit on the sides bro I, that was the coolest kid oh yeah man those are the bomb you know and that's what we still haven't even gotten after all this time have we gotten good thundercat miniatures i mean come on can somebody we've got some good turtle miniatures but have we gotten any good thundercats <sighs> thundercats is one of the coolest ideas ever when you really just think about it right don't i'm not telling you to go back and rewatch thundercats don't do it you will ruin Thundercats. It is. I'm not going to tell you. I bought the 20 year anniversary DVD, Blu-ray box set. Was like, this is going to be hype. Don't do that. <laughs> just, just listen to me right now. Don't do it. Just remember it. Like, just and just and just listen to this synopsis. You've got this group of like cat humanoid aliens, right? Something bad happens. They got to be in a spaceship. They're in like stasis pods, whatever. They got to go find a new planet. This incredible fantasy worlds, right? with all this stuff, right? And you've got this like grown ass man who's actually a kid who's like destined genetically because he's a lion to be the Lord of the Thundercats. But like, he don't know shit. So he's got to like be the Lord. He's got to like be everything that a cat can be, right? Which sounds silly, but like he's got to be like as strong as Panthro. He's got to be fast. He's got to be able to beat Chitara in a race. He's got to be able to like defeat tiger on a melee combat he's got to outwit wily kit wily cat he's got to go through this journey he's got the sword of omens which is dope as shit when you think about it just stylistically from the purpose like the concept of of a comic book he's got a claw a gauntlet claw that can do all sorts of things it's a shield he can slash people grappling hook and it is sheathed the sword of omens like a knife and he can pull it out like a gangster Right, and do all sorts of powers, and that he discovers throughout it. And he's got a cool ass arch nemesis that's a mummy. It is so fucking sick, right? So don't go back and watch it. Just remember that's how cool it is. And then let's get some minis and some busts that are just as hype as everything I just said, and let's paint them. Absolutely, you know, and people it was have- one of the coolest. <laughs> well, and that's I love. I, I'm actually kind of my roots in, in the kind of cartoons or I, I, Transformers were kind of the number one thing for me, and uh, I hear so many people talk about how amazing G1 was, and I'm like, go back and watch it. It's not as good as you think it is, and especially when you see Optimus Prime giving a, a pep talk to the Autobots, and you see Soundwave and Starscream standing in the audience clapping. You know, like there's there's a lot of problems with the videos in these. And, you know. All you need to do is watch the original movie, the original <laughs> animated movie with like Orson Welles and Leonard Nimoy. Get that. That's a good one. They had a 20 year like Blu-ray of that. Right. That's is, how I. That's how I try to remember Gen One by that movie. Fair enough. Fair enough. And that it, it, it's also uh, 
the, I, the only problem I had with Gen 1 was basically it was, let's kill off, that movie was, it was, uh, we're going to kill off all these characters to introduce new toys. <laughs> I mean, did, did you watch that, like, Netflix show of, like, like about that stuff? Like, it was, they did one on the Ninja, it was like, like, uh, Arch, it was, I can't remember the title of this, it's like, I found it on Netflix, because obviously COVID-19, but, like, it was like, it, it went back in time, talked about Transformers, and why it existed, Ninja Turtles, why it existed, and how the toys came out and it's literally like eye-opening as fuck man it's like the whole thing is just marketing toys from from jump right well which in, in, until the mid 80s was illegal in the united states and so when that law got got overturned is when hasbro went over to tomi and bought gi joe and uh transformers from takara tomi makes so, sense didn't know that part I mean, yeah yeah no that was yeah that was a big thing that was that law that argument that law changed the course of our our television life you know what i mean <laughs> oh my god and my toy childhood bro like right guys the ninja turtles i had to have them like it, i just there was no like i just must have like i had every fucking ninja turtle you know what i'm saying and they're not even remotely the same as the comic i was never even urged to be exposed to the comic because the cartoon existed right yeah, and I stopped collecting the comic. I have one through fifty nine, but oh, I, ref- I refused to go to sixty because sixty is when they went color. Like, oh, because they were one- printing that shit at their crib back in the days. Yes. Oh yeah. Like, yeah absolutely. There, that was that yeah, was crazy, man. There, there was a there were a lot of good a lot of good storyline, a lot of good artwork in that stuff for sure too. And it definitely feels unfiltered, which is really kind of nice. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel like there's a big production stamp on that first wave of them you know but. like they moved in together right and then they were just like let's just make this let's just make this happen and mm-hmm. they were like had an old one color printing press or some shit and they're just cranking <laughs> out the issues it's like damn what a what an awesome backstory you know what an origin story there you go exactly <laughs> exactly um you know, uh, you, I, I know that there are quite a few colors that make your rotation that we see a lot like secret weapons tire black I'm a, I'm addicted to that color too. They have a lot. Uh, that's just an example I have. But if a paint company came to you and said, "Kenny, we're going to make a color," what color would it be, and what would its name be? Awesome, right? And so this discussion has come up before in my in my life. Okay. <laughs> I do work with a lot of different companies, a lot of different sponsors uh, over the years, and I've really kind of just filtered it down to two people I like the most. I do I love Secret Weapon. It's just because of their variety, and they use a lot of Reaper formula because they have a relationship with Reaper. Right. Good quality, right? I love them. Tire Black. Glad you called it out. And I've been working a lot with uh, Monument Hobbies lately in their Pro Acryl line. Yeah, Jason's awesome. Jason is awesome. And those are some of my favorite colors. Like all the, like, and so we, me and Jason talk a lot. Like we're, we came up together on this Twitch uh, thing. We started, we promoted together for four years. And it'd be green for sure. Green's my favorite color. I use it as often as I can. And it'd be Yo Dog Green. Yo Dog Green. Nice, nice. And it'd be like it'd be like a combination of like uh, necrotite green from P3. That was like kind of one of my first times being exposed to like that kind of green. Mm-hmm. Moot green, GW has some of the qualities. Even Pro Krill, Monument Hobbies came out with a bright yellow green, which is honestly chemically all that type of green is is like a basically a pigment green with pigment yellow introduced to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would get that. I would get a triad is what I would talk to a guy, a company about. So I want to try it. Yo dog pattern green. I want it to be like a really deep, beautiful, dark, emeraldy green. 
a solid mid-tone green, and then it would be this super hyper yellow green. That'd be the triad. Market that shit. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be, you know, the contrast in that speaks to itself. And you talk about pro curl stuff that, that I love it because their stuff stays wet. So much easier to wet blend with their, with their paints. It stays wet a lot longer. Artistic, <laughs> everything from the, the production, the manufacturing to the testing is uh, artistic quality mediums, artistic quality uh, pigments, professional artistic quality. Like, so that is why. And also Jason was really committed to make sure that they, they look they dry exactly as advertised. Cause like a lot of people kind of have to throw a lot more matting in there to try to achieve some of these things. It's the perfect, perfect, like just barely, maybe, maybe satiny medium, but it's still a matte medium. Right. Uh, you can, you struggle to break those paints. You almost can't thin those paints down to break them. Like it is, he, he didn't spare any expense and whatever deals that he was able to get, uh, on his end, manufacturing to the production side, he extends to the to, to the customer base. And no, it's, they it's also, a great yeah. great company. Love them, um, like. Mm. And I use the the. I, I never thought that I would have brushes that worked the way. I'm a I'm a Raphael user, but the Bombwick igniters are that have worked themselves right into my paint lineup. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, brushes are a big part of this game. You know, I've heard a lot of like incredible painters like don't give a shit about the quality of a brush. Some swear by the quality of a brush. You know, when you're talking about sable, sable hair, you know, I got like Kalinsky sables. They're one of the biggest trappers in the, in the world. And they supply a lot of sable hair to a lot of companies. Uh, a lot of them are using the same sables, the, right. same, the same exact shit. And what you're paying for is like their proprietary formation of how they create their brush, how the ferrule shaped, like all their little secrets. I can't even, like, I don't even know the secrets, right? Right. And I'm not saying like a bomb wick. Or, you know, the red-handled igniters, the, you know, from their line. They also have a synthetic line, the Decords. I'm not saying they're better than Raphael's or Woods or Newton's. What I'm saying is they're comparable and they're half the cost. Right. So, it's like, bruh. <laughs> <laughs> like. <laughs> no, I, exactly. You know, and that's, a, it's one of those things where, a, 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 and if you have different techniques, the different brushes match, you know. Mm-hmm. Raphael's have a fatter belly than Windsor Newton's and Igniter's. Yeah. And that's so. a lot. That's a lot of the the proprietary blending. It's like of how they right. how they like like I you know I'm addicted right now to the number four Igniter. Like that's new. I haven't gotten one yet. I gotta the get big. One. They're sold out right now. The big fat yeah. number four because that's what happens. It's like he gets me hooked on something. I relentlessly promote it, and then they sell out. And then I'm like, he's like, I don't even have one for me. Stop. I'm like, <laughs> got it. Tire black. Same thing. Justin from Secret Miniatures came to me. He's like. They were at Depticon three years ago, and like they had every color except tire black. They're like, we're sold out, asshole. Of <laughs> <laughs> this one color, you realize how inefficient that is with your promotions, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I told uh, Justin, uh, I've talked to him a couple of times. I got to get him on the podcast. But I said to him, you know, there was that um, the guy who played uh, the sheriff in Stranger Things did that Tide commercial. Uh, that where we kind of interrupt, kept going. Oh, this is the, the drama here goes. No, it's a Tide commercial, and he kept interrupting and saying it was a Tide commercial. I'm like, you got to do something like that and just say Tire Black, you know? <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> just just do promotions like that. Just like, no, Tire Black. Yeah. Tire Black. Nah, man. <laughs> just and Justin's a goddamn American hero too. Shout out to him. Secret Miniatures, like it's just him and his wife in the warehouse trying to keep it going. Uh, the guy, I think they got all their employees on like job attached status, like layoff right now to, you know, to come back so they can get their unemployment as they're waiting for their, you know, payroll protection loans and stuff like that. And 
just trying to keep the normal, the, the routine and the normalcy going, you know, literally it's, it's a nightmare for a lot of these businesses. A lot of these, these American businesses that are here creating, you know, economic strength for our country and shout out to him. People like Jason, you know, like these guys are crushing it, man. Elric's hobby is one of my sponsors. Like they're, they're still cranking it out, doing what they can, you know, hundred percent here in this country, you know, uh, pop goes the monkey. Another guy, Matt, Dude is like a hundred percent, like all day, every day, trying to put it out there and find more efficient ways. Like just so many guys out there that, you know, you don't discover them maybe with a Google search, but they exist and just find them. They're still producing. If you got some ho- hobby dollars, burn a hole in your pocket, you know, send it back, send, send it, send it their way. You can't fix this. Like you can't fix the world with your stimulus check, right? Your $1,200 check. You can't fix the world. It's also irresponsible to ask you to prop up an intangible economy uh, like as a person, right? Like, like that's not your job. Your job isn't to bear this thing, this weight on your shoulders and even think that way, right? What you can do though, and not to not get overwhelmed by that concept is think about somebody you personally know or interact with who might be struggling as a business person in this country. Go to them. That's what I did. I'm actually took a hundred percent of my $1,200 I got and am spending it on commission painters in the United States. That's awesome. That like, I'm just like, this is like, I was like, I'm like, I'm stable right now. Shout out to my, my fan base, my audience. A lot of people have come, come in who, you know, given more while others had to back off. My content remains free and we've been able to, to really power through, especially with my lady being completely out of work. Her oh. industry is completely shut down and she's trying to get her voiceover uh, audio books off the ground. She's got a couple of adventures, but like this, like I'm grateful now that I'm stable. Like it took us about, you know, 45 days to make that announcement, right? Somebody in your house, like just, just dropping a sick beat on the table. Some pens. You don't know who it is. That's what I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, professionalism, guys. This. <laughs> it's. I think it's my uh, middle child. Never had a. I've never had a perfect podcast. So yeah. Oh no. I, I, I'm so I used to worry about it, but now I'm just like whatever. You know what? As long as nobody hears me farting or anything, we're okay. I mean, <laughs> shit. You're you're already, we're already more pro than we are. We can't go 15 <laughs> minutes while I talk about poop. Uh, but, well, but that does happen sometimes yeah <laughs> to, to make a long-winded thing shorter is like you know just like shout out to everybody we made that official mm-hmm. announcement essentially a couple of weeks ago that like we're good we're stable now we're in a place where we can start reinvesting some of this uh back into new cool promotions and bringing them back to our incentivized broadcasted experience and you know one of them is i have that 200 dollars it actually just showed up like three days ago so like I've been on lockdown since uh, February 24th. Oh, wow. Like we went to the emergency room and urgent care and the same day, my lady Bonet, she got an infection in her hand from a very small dog bite from our tiny dog. Mm-hmm. We went, like, no, like tiny little bite, bite. We washed it, we cleaned it and then it got highly infected. She is immunocompromised. Oof. And, that, and so on the 24th, when we kind of knew about COVID, we went to urgent care. What she got? And then I had to go to the emergency room, pump full antibiotics, full antibiotic treatment, and we. So that was like when they were telling you to self quarantine, and mm-hmm. so we did two weeks of self quarantining because we were at the ER, and then kind of like almost right when that was over and she was done taking antibiotics and everything was fine, mm-hmm. like lockdown. Mm-hmm. So like it's it's been 
it's been crazy. And so like, since that moment to like three days ago, I got a $1,200 check, which kind of like makes me really empathize with people out there who are, you know, struggling right now. I was like, damn, this is like, I've been stressing, bang, like, like going as hard as I can, falling asleep at this desk, trying to figure out how to keep these bills roll, like, you know, paid and how to cover bills that I'm not usually covering because she's out of work. And I figured that out. And a lot of it's because of my audience, you know, a lot of it's working with a lot of these sponsors. Like we've now figured it out. And then this check shows up, you know, it's like, damn dude. So like, mm -hmm. I was like, man, like, how do I feel about this check right now? Like, mm -hmm. Oh, it just sat there on my desk. It's actually still sitting there on my desk. It's like literally right here. And it, it, you, <laughs> no one can see it, but you can. And I, and I had a couple phone calls last night actually. And I know what I'm gonna do with that check and it's $1,200 in commissions. Nice. Uh, awesome. to to make some models that I don't have time to paint for my game pieces. That's what it's for. That's a, that's huge. That's so wonderful of you to do for sure. I, I definitely I'm on the other side of buying stuff, the, doing the <laughs> like supporting the stores, you know. Because I actually there's someone in in our air in my area that does curbside delivery now, so you can order from them over the phone and they'll bring it to you. It's not as fun as being able to go into a store, but at least you can get. They're working, you're getting product, hobby happy, right? You know, <laughs> it's a win-win yeah. for everybody for sure. No, and it is, and you know, think about, like, I'm not an economist, like, man, but everyone is on the internet suddenly. But like, literally, to my knowledge, like, you know, the economy, like, thing, like the economy, things happen to the economy based on the buying behaviors of us, right? Like, so we right. are the economy, it's the way we do business. Mm -hmm. Our behaviors have changed. Obviously, we're locked inside it. Um, and then people have gotten more and more innovative and open to this new way of life that we are living through and our behaviors are now changing to support that. Right. So I tell people like who get really overwhelmed by how much is going on. Like, just think of like, just put little blinders on, you know what I mean? And like, just look at that local game shop. Like you did like them. What are they doing? Let me just go help one person. Like I, I needed that product anyway. Let me just like, shift my behaviors to this new way of doing business as a, as a consumer and contribute to the economy that way and help one person. If you, if everyone just helps one person. It's absolutely huge. Yep. You know, like it's not your job to, to help a hundred people, just help one person. That's what right. you were doing anyway before all this. You were helping them that were, you were loyal to them. Right. Yeah. Don't, don't change that for sure. Don't like, don't prop yourself up on idea an ideology. Like it's not your job. Like go, go do exactly your behaviors you were doing before this in this new way. And don't put the world on your shoulders. You're right, man. That's a huge thing, especially now a lot of people are, are carrying like this. There's probably going to be a mental health crisis as we come out of this, you know. Bro, no lie. Like, I'm actually like, I'm like, you notice that I'm broadcasting from probably a different location that you see in my videos mm -hmm. right now. <laughs> About four weeks ago, I uh, uh, hit up with my neighbors who are in Palm Springs right now at their house. This is their, their, their next door neighbors. They have an apartment here. This is uh, my neighbor's photography studio. And I asked her if I can move my business and her studio and pay her a little bit of rent money just for the mental health mm -hmm. to like, cause now that we literally are not leaving the house for like very rarely, it was a huge thing now to like separate the business from our home life. And so now I come here to do my business and I go over there to do my home life. And that was actually a suggestion by an online therapist that I also recently started seeing during this, because even though I'm a guy who doesn't go outside a lot, I actually do 
go outside a whole lot more than zero. <laughs> and, and this, and so it's kind of been weighing on us. And so that was actually like, I, I think I signed up for like uh, better help. Better help mm-hmm. is like a known, very highly rated online service. They are, they've been doing this long before COVID-19 video mm-hmm. therapy. And it's just yeah. like, I just have a guy, I talk to him and what was going on. And that's been really helpful, man. And like, this was a suggestion, bro. Like, that's what the hell is a real thing, bro. It's just as important as doing your push-ups. Make sure you do your fucking push-ups, by the way. Like, if you sit in this chair all day, do 10 push-ups today. Do 11 tomorrow. Literally that simple. Like, it's just as important as that. Thank you for 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 saying that because that is the one thing that, that that's a huge fight in this country is the stigma around mental health and getting help and it's, it's okay to call, get somebody it's like not only okay it's awesome to be able to go and be able to talk to somebody about what Bro, you need help with there somebody who is wrong. like somebody you mesh with who's genuinely straight up by trade interested in what you're saying and understanding you mm-hmm. like just sometimes that's all you need man Right. Like, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, That's that is yeah. There, there and there's nothing wrong with it. It is I I strongly encourage it. Get any help you can. Anybody who listens to this and is feeling down, reach out. Somebody's out there to, that's willing to help you. You know, mm-hmm. that's their trade. That was their whole motivation in mm-hmm. school. That's like what they were a kid. They were like, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And they said, "I want to be a therapist." You know, like and you know, like. That, that's 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 the kind of person you interact with you know like a lot there's a stigma about these people sure you got to sometimes you got to shop around find the right person for you but these platforms literally try to figure out try to place you with a therapist and if you don't like them like they don't mess with you literally you just a tab drop down like look find me a new guy mm-hmm. like straight up like it's it's easy man yeah. right absolutely man that's awesome thank you thank you again so much for sharing that man that's uh that's a huge thing and that's much appreciated we live in a, no i mean no worries we live in a like you know like i grew up with the stigma too about it mm-hmm. and i've come to understand over the last few years that like it's no different than doing push-ups bro no different man no different than brushing your teeth it's super important things that maybe you're not really down to do but you got to man and everyone's life can be improved by something you know <laughs> little anecdote i have corrective inserts for my feet. I have like these, I have like flattening feet. Right. And it, it seems really weird to bring up, but my podiatrist many years ago looked at my feet cause I get gout. Right. And like, I went in for gout, but he looked at my feet and he was like, bro, you got some flat motherfucking feet, dude. I was like, Oh yeah. You know, but it's okay. He's like, no, no, no. Here's the thing. Back in the day, like a dude made shoes for you. Right. Cobbler. Right. Now we get all of us wear one size fits all shoes. He's like, every human on this earth's life would be improved. They came to a podiatrist. I took a cast of your foot and then made you a sole that matched your foot. And then you just took that shitty sole out of your sneaker and put this one in. He's like, that simple. Right? And I was like, oh my God, bro. And then I started thinking about that for everything. Like things like therapy, you know, like literally things like working out. Like we're all doing things based on this like, arbitrary one size fits all concept and that's just not the case man like every part of our life is unique and every human is different and we all have our own you know requirements for getting through anything and just like getting through a day man so like think about that podiatrist anecdote you know next time you're thinking about something you know like well i i bet you too your back felt better 
after getting Bro, those inserts too. Literally everything. My sleep improved. My 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 posture improved. I was like, oh my fucking god, my feet don't hurt after a long day on them. I was like, all right, doc, I see what you're saying. Right. And you're like, damn it, why didn't I do this ten years ago? You know, like yeah, for sure. But um, the, the kind of I won't keep you much longer. I know you got a lot going on, but I do want to ask one question for you that we kind of always enter end the interviews with. The motto of our podcast is better, braver, happier. And it is any last minute advice you want to give to our listeners about that goal. Better, braver, happier. That's yeah. a perfect, that's a perfect, that's a perfect catchphrase, man. Thank I you. love it. Like that's, that's literally what it comes down to being brave. You know, like I'll break it down. Being brave doesn't mean that you're not brave, right? Being brave doesn't mean that you're scared. It's more like a quickly, a quick way of describing taking chances. You know what I'm saying? Like, so take chances, especially with pain. You can't mess anything up. I promise you. Nothing can, cannot be undone. And if you're working thin, on, if you're working thin as you should be with your pains, you pretty much don't even have to redo things. You pretty much just fix them. So be brave. You know, literally all day, every day, it's my favorite slogan is be brave in the beach lab on our platform. Mm-hmm. that is how you get this done. Take a chance, see something that somebody's doing. And when, if you're going to go try to recreate it, cause you know, you may be a novice and you're watching a video to get better. Just, just do it. Dive into it, man. Thank you. Yeah. And I try to tell people when you say the phrase, I can't do it, just add the word yet. Yeah. I can't do it yet. You're going to get there. You just got to practice, you know, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But, uh, Thank you so much for joining me today, Kenny. It's been, uh, it's an honor to get a chance to talk to you. You do a lot for the community and man, you're a damn fine painter. You know, I'll give you that. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it, man. Dan and I would like to thank Kenny Boucher from Next Level Painting for joining us today. You can follow him on Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, Next Level Painting. That's where you find him. Also check out our show notes. We'll put the times in for his Twitch uh, sessions. You can also back him on Patreon if, if you feel so inclined to get uh, access to over a thousand videos at this point, which is kind of crazy. And his techniques do tend to work for those who are both new in painting and who are also much more experienced. So thank you so much to Kenny. It was an awesome conversation. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Listening to Paint Drive. If you have questions, comments, thoughts, things that you're working on, uh, stressors, non-stressors, you have something you want to talk about, you want to tell us how crappy the show is, how good the show is, what's working, what's not, you can email us at listeningtopaintdry at gmail.com. Subscribe, like, follow us wherever you get your podcast. And you know what? What the hell? Do you want to set up a Skype and paint because you're feeling lonely? Email us at listeningtopaintdry at gmail.com and we'll see what we can do. See if we can hook up and have a paint Skype session or something along those lines. We're here for you. And we're free. Right. And we're free. Right. Yeah. We're not going to cost you any money. Taking your painting to the next level and becoming a better, braver, and happier painter is right in front of you. Just take the challenge head on. Until next time. See ya. Listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan is a production of LTPDWMD. All rights reserved. No portion of this recording may be used without the express written consent of the host. The music is Death by a Thousand Questions by Springtide. Download from the free music archive on a non-commercial attribution share alike basis. All views and opinions expressed in the show are solely the views and opinions of the person who said them. All celebrity voices, if any, were impersonated and done so poorly.